Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. So I actually moved my computer during my introduction. I tend to do things while that's going on. So I don't know if it totally you heard the scraping noise or just or something was weird. But uh, yeah, I try not to do those things, but you never know. Yeah, Greg Pangles here live from uh, the beautiful uh, downtown historic district of Milton. And Milton is in Florida. I keep forgetting to put that in the intro, but you know, if you don't know, you can always ask me. <laughs> so here we are. And uh, it's uh, it's an interesting interesting time right now. What's that Chinese saying? May may you live in in, in interesting times. Or I don't know if it's a curse or it's a it's a warning or it's a it's a saying. But uh, yeah, interesting is one thing. You know, hysterical, outrageous, and totally bizarre is something else. And that's where we are now. We are in bizarre land. We are in a strange. We are being governed by an illegal idiocracy that values diversity and equity more than it does common sense, sensibility, and actually the ability to do anything properly. And nothing could evidence that better than the current. Uh, head of the FAA, who is a diversity, who is a black man candidate, and he's there simply because he's a black man. Uh, that's, how this, that's how this administration seems to work, you know, as illegal as it is, that they seem to be replacing all the competent white guys with the incompetent people who have, quote, diversity. Now, I got nothing wrong against, obviously, people, you know, whoever they are, if you're qualified, I don't care who you are. I mean, that goes with the show. You look at this show. Anybody who's on this show um, is on because they have something really interesting to say. I don't care who you are, what you look like, or what age you are, or where you're from. I mean, worldwide, we have all kinds of folks on the show. Uh, so, obviously, we do what we're supposed to do here. And it's, it's shameful that I even have to make that, uh, that comment because it should be painfully obvious that this is a show based on merit. And, and so that's, that's really all it takes. And even if you disagree with me, as long as you've got merit, you know, you've got a good disagreement, I don't care. In fact, those are some of my most interesting calls. So we had a, a, a blog talk host on just uh, the other day, and he was challenging me. Or actually, I, I think, well, I, that's not quite true. I was challenging him uh, on a bunch of stuff on, on why the birth certificate is not really a stock certificate, why you can't take your birth certificate to Wall Street and trade it in for a bunch of cash. Uh, that was kind of interesting, actually. But a lot of people believe that. They, they believe because the company that printed birth certificates also prints stock certificates that they're kind of like the same thing. That's interesting. So the company that prints uh, menus and also prints your divorce decree, is that the same thing? <laughs> I don't think so. But uh, these are this is, you know, people, the, the, the minds of people work in, in fascinating ways. And of course, we're, we're here to delve into that. Anyway, the, uh, the idiocracy, the Brandon idiocracy, I, I have determined, is to not allow anybody uh, who is smarter than Brandon uh, which is an incredibly low standard considering he, he actually is brain damaged. And I'm not, I'm not making that up. I'm not trying to you know, throw hyperbole at you. He has had two brain aneurysms. He is not uh, as competent as he used to be. And even at his best, uh, he was incredibly dangerous and incompetent, uh, not because he was stupid, but because he believed all the wrong stuff, uh, had no conscience, and just articulated anything he could to, to gain himself money and power. Uh, like a lot of politicians, but he was just more blatant about it. In fact, he even there's an old video where he, he even says he's a political prostitute uh, there just to make money and do things for people. Okay, well, at least you're honest about it. I mean, you know, he, he's honestly corrupt, at least back then. This is, you know, 30, maybe 40 years ago. Now he has no idea how incompetent he is. He has no idea where he is. He has no idea how much damage he's doing to the country. He thinks he's doing the right thing. He thinks because he is like disengaged mentally that the economy is okay that he didn't steal the election, uh, that uh, we, we do have energy and it's the oil companies that are causing the problem, that Putin is the greatest evil and everything that's going wrong with the United States right now is because of Putin. 
as opposed to him, which <laughs> it's really to do with him. You know, uh, you know, we have five million illegals running across our border. That that's him, and all the people behind him of the idiocracy. You know, the Buttigieg's and all the other folks. But uh, this guy, uh, Mr. Washington, I, I forgotten his first name. Anyway, his qualification is that he's a black man. That's why he got all the positions he got. I mean, he apparently he served really well in, in the armed forces. He had a good honorable service. I think he was a sergeant major. Congratulations. Thank you for your service. I appreciate it. However, as does with John McCain, um, you know, military service, uh, as heroic as it was, does not mean you're a good senator or, or you're going to be a good run, uh, manager of the FAA. The most singularly incompetent person I have ever seen from any nominee was put forward by the Brandon insurrection. The idiocracy, the, the diversity, equity, idiocracy, the DEI. <laughs> DEI stands for something else. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're going to start calling. Oh, I've got to put that in my glossary. I'm making a new glossary um, of things. You know, I'm making a new conservative glossary for all you folks. It's the things that has things like rhino becomes transgender Democrat. Um, the, I've got some other terms, too. Um, the, the, the World Economic Forum Young Leaders uh, Conference is now communist boot camp. <laughs> So all these things. So DEI is now going to stand for diversity, diversity. Oh, I have so much fun doing this show. Equity. I, in fact, I'm going to write an article on just this alone. This would be great. I do Substack right now too. So gregpengelis.substack.com. Um, my next article is going to be publishing a previous article I wrote um, called If There Were No Left. In other words, it's a vision of America uh, if the left never existed. If the left never came here, if they stayed where they belonged, in Europe, Russia, China, you know, away from here. Uh, actually, they don't really belong anywhere, but the point is that it certainly does not belong here in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Uh, it, I don't want us to become the land of the idiots, the home of the conformist. And so that's what it's becoming. So DEI is now going to stand for Diversity, Equity, and Idiocracy. Idiocracy. I hope you're enjoying my playroom. I mean, this, is, this really is my playroom. This is where I play. This is where I have fun. And so I waited my whole life to be able to do this. And, of course, now, you know, now I have no filter, no bounds. I don't really care. All right, so that's the first thing. So this guy, so I've been watching, uh, in fact, I post them, the Action Radio Special um, Investigations Project. I think it's on the Economics uh, Project and some various, the Action Radio Group. There, there are several places I've been posting hearings, I think even on my own page. This man is so dangerous, so incompetent. You know, he, uh, one of the senators, and it's all on the tape. Uh, in fact, if, whenever you listen to a hearing, the best thing to do is to skip the Democrats, uh, go right to the Republicans, and even if they're moderate Republicans, you want to skip them too. Go to the Ted Cruz's and some of the other folks, but there's one senator that just asks some basic questions. You know, what, what are the, the, the types of special use airspace? You know, when do you need a transponder? Uh, what, what are the, uh, the, the type certificates for, for an airplane? You know, and uh, things like that, you know, of course, airworthiness. I didn't know. I knew airworthiness certificate, but I've never worked in airplane design or manufacturer. So I I didn't know about, you know, uh, I guess a production certificate and uh, an aircraft type certificate. So it has to be typed. It has to be a, a, you know, a class and category. Excuse me, category and class. You know, airplane, single engine land would be a category. Airplane would be a category. Class would be single engine land. I used to be a flight instructor. I know this stuff, but, you know, I don't know. But I certainly am not qualified to run the FAA, even though I was a flight instructor for several years. You know, some uh, a couple of years full time and then a couple of years part time. So, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm new to this, but there's a lot of things that I don't know. I wouldn't presume to be an FAA uh, head of the FAA. I've never worked in the airline industry. I don't, you know, I've never, uh, you know, supervised. I've, you know, I know what air traffic controllers do because I've been on the other end and I visited towers, but I wouldn't presume to supervise them. You know, and so you really need somebody that knows what they're doing. Uh, there was an interesting story that came out about this. 
during the hearing that the previous FAA administrator, somebody who actually knew what they were doing, when they had problems with the 737 MAX, which they do because they tried to make a big airplane out of a small airplane rather than designing a new airplane, which is what Boeing should have done. That's what happens when you let bean counters run your company as opposed to people that actually know what they're doing and what they're producing. Anyway, the, uh, the FAA um, head, the, 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 the head, I forget what it's called, administrator, FAA administrator, uh, was a pilot and actually flew the, flew the 737 MAX before it went back into service. Well, that's who you wanted the FAA. I don't know if they're Democrat or Republican. I don't really care. Obviously, they were qualified for the job. You know, it's supposed to be nonpartisan, nonpolitical, but uh, the previous FAA head could fly a 737. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's, that's a qualification, all right, as opposed to this idiot who, uh, who apparently is uh, his only um, claim to fame is diversity, equity, and idiocracy, DEI. That's, that's my new term. Um, because everything he did at uh, Denver Airport, everything he did running the L.A. transit system, everything he's done everywhere has all been about kicking out the white guys. <laughs> Let's be blunt. That's what, that's what diversity, equity, inclusion is about. It's kicking out the white guys. And it's fascinating when you watch this hearing that the only people criticizing, you know, Mr. Diversity, Equity, and Idiocracy uh, were white guys. You know, the white Republicans. I think there was, a, um, I think it was like one or two Republican women senators. They were white also. But it's fascinating to me that the Democrats have become the party of diversity, equity, and idiocracy. I mean, they really have. You look at uh, all the folks, you know, the people of non-white color. This is my new term. I'm going to write that down too. People of non-white color. <laughs> There's another term. My glossary keeps getting bigger. People of non-white color, implying that white, of course, is a color. So I can't say that uh, you can't say people of color anymore because because everybody has a, has color. I have color. I'm white. Okay, that's a color. In fact, if you look at right light frequencies, white is the presence of all colors, making white people the ultimate in diversity. Okay, black, if you look at light frequencies, is the absence of all color. So the people that don't have color, according to light frequencies, are black. The people that had all colors and all frequencies are white. Think about that next time. People of non-white. Yeah, but you didn't hear that on the news. Non-white color. So there's my new term. All right. So people of non-white color, in other words, Democrats, uh, were saying how wonderful this guy is. They didn't care that he wasn't qualified. They didn't care anything but uh, the fact that he was a black dude. I mean, that's really what it came down to, uh, which is terrible. But I bet you can find some, some great black pilots. What about the, the – they might be a little old now, but the Tuskegee Airmen, for example – you know, if you, want to have a, if you want to have someone run the FAA and have your diversity, let's get with some of the Tuskegee Airmen. I think they might be a little old. This is World War II, so they're probably too old for it now. But uh, maybe they're kids <laughs> if they served in the military. That'd be fine. You know, it's, uh, you know I don't care as, as long as they know what they're doing. Um, I was actually fortunate enough to have met uh, a few people out in California that were aviators. Uh, and some of them, like Alex Frasio, who was a Medal of Honor winner combat pilot in World War II. Uh, another person I met, uh, Greg Boynton Jr.'s kid. You guys all see Bob Bob Black Sheep? You know, that was about Gregory Boynton. Uh, real rough and tumble, you know, he, you know, perfect guy for combat, useless in civilian life. He had a really tough, you know, life um, back in the civilian world, but he's really great in World War II. Anyway, I met his son and, and got to know him. And so I've met some incredible pilots. I mean, these people were great FAA administrators. You know, the, he, the son had tons of military experience, flew phantoms and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, point being that if you wanted, if I could pick one person in the country right now to run the FAA, it would be Captain Sully Sullenberg. Burger. Sullenberger? Captain Sully. Why isn't Captain Sully up there? I'll tell you why he's not, because he's a white guy. <laughs> it's as simple as that. So, so rather than have Captain Sully Sullenberg, Burger, I've got to get his name. I'm, Captain Sully, I'm sorry. Captain Sullenberger. 
uh, probably the greatest pilot in the world today who saved his flight by, by ditching in the Hudson and kind of lightly landing in there and saved everybody on the airplane when they got struck by birds and knocked out both engines. He's the guy I want running the FAA. And he happens to be a white guy. I wouldn't care what he, I wouldn't care if he was a five foot Laotian woman, you know, immigrant <laughs> legally. Uh, if she saved that flight, put her in the FAA. I didn't, it doesn't matter. But why, why isn't Captain Sully running the FAA? I mean, what better position could you have for him? He's the perfect person for that. No, they picked a black guy, you know, who is a diversity, equity, and idiocracy candidate, DEI. That's how it works. All right. So much for that topic. <laughs> There's more. Um, the other thing I've been speculating on, and I did it back in August of 2021, so we're talking, oh, a year and a half ago, uh, was that Brian Sicknick was killed by a COVID shot. Now, as I understand it, the uh, Nancy Pelosi made sure that the first people to get the COVID shot uh, was the folks on Capitol Hill, which included the Capitol Hill police. That would have been mid-December of 2020. So, so the jab came out about then, mid-December 2020. And so Capitol Hill, Capitol Hill police, Capitol Hill staff, everybody that wanted it, got it. Or I think she tried to make everybody get it. Um, of course, you don't hear about the died suddenly things right now. But it seems to me that three weeks later, so, so if, if uh, Officer Sicknick of the Capitol Hill police at the age of 42 got his jab in mid-December, uh, it's perfectly plausible that a blood clot would have formed and given him two strokes by January 6th, especially with the fact that January 6th was rather stressful because the National Guard was, was uh, um, denied. Um, all the doors were opened by the Capitol Hill police and the Capitol Hill Invitational Walk-In. A whole bunch of Trump supporters were there not knowing what was going on, uh, and Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and FBI operatives were destroying the building. So that's what was going on January 6th, all in an effort to make sure that the Brandon electors uh, were confirmed, even though they're fraudulent, uh, and the Trump electors were denied. That was the purpose of January 6th. We know about it. We know about all of it. My question, now here's a question for you. This is something that I was thinking, too. Uh, of, and I wish I had a direct connection to Tucker Carlson, because this would be fun right now. But if I would ask Tucker, dear Tucker, uh, you have all the surveillance tape. What went on under the Capitol with Congress? You know, we all think they got the talk. You know what I mean by the talk? The talk, and I talked to Christine and Bob about this. My intention was that arms were twisted, that uh, you know, campaign funds were withheld, and all, all the folks down there were told, you better damn well vote for Brandon uh, over the Trump electors or you're screwed. <laughs> you know, and they probably would use the F word. Now, I won't because I'm trying to you know, maintain decorum here. But they basically said, you're screwed. If you, if you don't, unless you comply with, unless you follow us, uh, unless you follow the deep state, you know, your, your career in, in Congress is already over. I mean, I think that's really what happened. Christine and Bob was a lot more charitable. Charitable. She said that uh, you don't want to associate with those, those Trump, you know, uh, ruffians. <laughs> well, that's not quite the right word. Uh, those Trump, uh, you know, insurrectionists. That's probably what they said. Those, those violent Trump supporters, they're up there trying to destroy democracy. You don't want to be, be associated with those people. You know, you better vote with us and voting Brandon. That's, I think, that's what she said. Okay. I said those arms were twisted. But let's, let's see if there's any surveillance tape for under. Uh, the, I, I, should, uh, I should write to uh, Christina Bob. I'm trying to get her back on the show. And so that would be fascinating, too. So Christina, Bob, Ms. Bob, <laughs> like for, if, you, if, you're, if you're a woman and your last first name is a guy, Ms. Bob, <laughs> that'd be like Mr. Sue. Mr. Sue? <laughs> Mr. Susan? And how are you today? <laughs> All right. So Christina, let me ask her. I'm taking a lot of notes. Well, it's just me here. You know, I wish, if I had a producer, I'd say, dear producer, could you write this down, please? But I can't because it's just me. So, Christina, let's put uh, video under capital. There we go. Okay, fine. 
Uh, I do my best. I'm kind of a one-person show here. <laughs> I'm looking for producers, so if you want to be a call screener producer, if you want to know all the inner secrets of Action Radio, and you want to be my right-hand person, uh, regardless of your diversity, equity, or it, well, idiocracy doesn't count. But I don't care about your diversity or equity. Just, you know, if you're smart, I, I don't care. You look at this show. We've got people as young as 16 and as old as 75. We've got men, women, black folks, white folks, Hispanic folks, Asian folks. Everybody comes on this show. I don't care. <laughs> I really don't. Producers give me the same thing. Just be really smart, uh, hopefully smarter than me. Uh, that would be good so that we, I, can, I can learn things and, and keep on track as well. All right, so I think we've covered diversity. We've covered – oh, yeah, back to Brian Sicknick. So Brian Sicknick, it seems to me, with two massive strokes, uh, with the fact that uh, obviously he wasn't killed by a fire extinguisher because he was walking around on video uh, you know, over an hour after he was supposedly murdered. Well, that, that's – you know, in other words, what, what did Mark Twain say? The, the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> Yeah. So the reports of Brian Sitnick's death were greatly exaggerated. Now, he died, I guess, the next day. Uh, but, uh, but I'm sure, you know, and as we know, adrenaline, you know, causes heart attacks because it's stressful. So if you've already got a bunch of uh, COVID blood clot flowing through your or not flowing through your system, gumming up your system, and I, I'm trying to get too graphic, and I really apologize to his family. You know, I mean, this is, this is a sad thing. Uh, why they didn't demand a full autopsy, and, and you know, we don't know. But um, one of the folks that should have been up at the, uh, the January 6th hearing is the, is the coroner, the D.C. coroner. You know, did you, how much of an autopsy did you do? Did you find blood clots? What kind of blood clots did you find? Did you find blood clots that might be associated with the COVID shot? I mean, those are the basic questions that he should be asked. So the D.C. coroner needs to be up. Well, see, I want to have what's called a J62. So J62, I'm going to fucking write an article on this too, J62, so don't steal it, J62. What's J62? J62 is the GOP hearing um, that follows up on the Democrat whitewash, the Democrat, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the sham trial, the, all the stuff they did for J61. So GOP hearings. I'm just writing down H-E-A-A-R-I-N-G-S. I'm typing too. So I have my template for every show. Just to let you know some inside action radio stuff, um, I always have a, um, an, I have a basic information sheet with everything I need, all the phone numbers. It's got guests, it's got schedules, it's got uh, my comments, my opening comments, my main show comments, uh, my guests and their phone numbers. Uh, there's only one today, that's Diane. Diane Warner is going to join us in the third hour. All I, thought, I got this stuff on this one sheet, and so I, I, keep, I keep a record of every single show. I know exactly what I did, what I covered every single show. Um, and that's kind of how it works around here. You know, I'm, I try to be pretty, uh, pretty careful. A couple things. One, Bill Fecky is still off. Don't know when he'll be back. He's busy doing stuff. Wendy is off today also. She's busy doing stuff. Everybody's busy doing stuff. I'm here. <laughs> so because I'm missing my, my, uh, two of my favorite reporters, uh, actually all my reporters are my favorite reporters. I shouldn't keep saying that because uh, they're all special people. Anyway, so I'm missing two reporters today. So what I'm going to do is in the second hour play you uh, an interview. And I, I always want handy just for moments like this. I might play one tomorrow too. So rather than talk for two hours straight and bore you to death, um, I've, got a, I've got one of my classic WEBY interviews that would never air again unless I played them here. So, you know, at least here they go on podcasts and you, you're able to find them again. Uh, once WEBY was bought out, all records and everything else ceased to exist. <laughs> they just gone. Fortunately, I got my shows out. And so I have a show with Chuck Bonta. And Chuck was my CCW, my Concealed Carry Weapons Instructor. Uh, it's a great class. I mean, it, it, well, his class is great, um, but it's, a, it's, also a, it's also a great interview. He was really cool. And damn, he's got that Florida accent. He sounds just like he's been here his whole life. He sounds wonderful. So, I, you know, you'll notice I, I try to specialize in local accents because it's cool. Sounds good. I, I kind of wish I had one myself. I'm sort of like generic now from Canada to Australia 
to the United States and uh, California to here to who knows what. So I think I've I've lost all traces of an accent unless I go somewhere else. <clears throat> Remember, you only you know <laughs> wherever you go, you're the one with the accent. <laughs> that's kind of how it works. All right, so so that's going to be up in the second hour. Uh, in the meantime, we've got a couple of more things to cover. Then I want to get into uh, the the latest in the Clinton death list. You know, and of course, all of us are of, of suspicious types. You, you look at the evidence, and something's really wrong here. So I'm going to cover that for, for quite a while. Um, open carry. I'm going to talk about that for a minute because there is a bill that they're calling constitution, constitution, slow down, Greg, constitutional carry, which is not constitutional carry. All it is is carry without a permit. Okay. Well, first of all, permits are unconstitutional because you cannot uh, infringe upon anybody who wants to carry a firearm. That's the law. That's the supreme law of the land. That's the Constitution. The right of the people to keep and bear arms cannot be touched, cannot be encroached upon, cannot be infringed. You can't do it. So no permit, nothing to do with weapons restrictions. None of that stuff applies. We have a right. Now, separate the right from use. Okay, you've got to separate the right from use. But the right, is, the right is what's being protected. So the right of people to own and carry firearms so that they are immediately of use uh, should it be necessary for self-defense, uh, protection, um, hunting, uh, you know, target shooting, whatever, whatever it is, your firearms have to be available instantly to you. And the only way that they can be available instantly to you is that the government cannot touch your right to have them instantly available to you, which means they cannot touch your right to own or carry firearms, period. That's the law. Now, if you want to get into legal uses, illegal uses, criminals, things like that, that's a whole different argument. Okay, so uh, legal uses and illegal uses are covered by statutory law. Statutory law uh, is the province of government um, and is the government can absolutely limit uses. You know, if the government wants to make a law and they have against brandishing, murder, kidnapping, carjacking, bank robbery, you know, assault, extortion, all that kind of stuff. That's perfectly fine. That's, that's what the government's supposed to do. They should make laws against using firearms for those purposes. That's the whole point. Uh, they should uh, make legal uses of target shooting, hunting, collecting, gunsmithing. Um, I don't know what else. What else can you do? Uh, you know, competition. Uh, all the things you can do with guns are illegal. They, you know, those should, those should not be laws against those things. Those should just be left alone. Right? So you make laws against the illegal things. You leave the rest of it alone. That's fine. So there's a division between legal and illegal as far as use firearms goes. That is normal. That's acceptable. What's not acceptable is trying to make statutory law supreme to constitutional law. So in other words, gun control. All gun control is automatically and categorically unconstitutional for the simple reason that they try to raise statutory law, concealed carry permits, magazine limitations, uh, barrel restrictions, uh, semi-auto, revolver, single shot, you know, uh, fully automatic, all that kind of stuff. All those things are illegal. Any type of, of firearm characteristic or any type of license or restriction or permit or where you can and cannot carry, all of that's categorically unconstitutional. In fact, the Supreme Court should make that statement. They don't. I don't know why they don't. You know, I mean, uh, you know, Clarence Thomas, he's a smart guy. Sam Alito, he's a smart guy. I'm not sure about the rest of them. You know, we've got some reasonably intelligent people, Gorsuch, uh, uh, Coney Barrett, and uh, Frat Boy Kavanaugh. You know, the, I'll put them in the moderately intelligent category. And then you've got the insane liberals who are basically DEI, diversity, equity, and uh, idiocracy, <laughs> at the other end, who shouldn't be on the court because they have no relationship with the Constitution whatsoever. They have no clue what they're supposed to do there. They think they're supposed to be there as ideologues. They think they're supposed to make decisions, quote, interpret the Constitution the way they say fit, and then make the Constitution fit, you know, their political, ideologically left-driven uh, idiocracy. That's what they think they're supposed to do. So they're not qualified. None of them are qualified to be. The liberals are not qualified to be on the Supreme Court. 
Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. Leftists are not qualified to be on the Supreme Court. They're not. Because they don't have a relationship with the Constitution. They don't believe it's the supreme law of the land. They think they can interpret it any way they feel like. And they think they can do anything they want because they're on the court. Well, the Supreme Court's only supreme to the inferior courts. It is not supreme to the law. It is not supreme to the other branches of government. They are co-equal. And it is certainly under subordinate to the Constitution. So anytime the court okays any kind of gun control, they've violated the, the supreme law of the land. They've violated the Constitution. And they need to go. They need to be recalled. And they need to be, uh, you know, brought in, uh, the, the Congress needs to fire them for bad behavior. That's Congress's job. All right, so that's how that works. Anyway, point being, we need open carry. And so the, uh, the, the, even Florida Carry, a group I respect, brought forward this bill uh, or supported this bill um, that says that uh, we should have permitless carry, you know, carry without a CCW permit, and they're calling that constitutional carry. No, it's not. You cannot have constitutional carry unless you have open carry openly displaying a firearm um, that you're carrying. And there are several reasons to do that. Uh, well, the most important is to normalize the sight of firearms uh, on non-governmental people, especially non-law enforcement people, because everybody should know all the way down to kids that in this country, a free person can carry a gun openly as a law-abiding citizen, and that's okay. <laughs> that's perfectly fine. Uh, and people who object or are afraid or have other problems, that is their problem. You know, in the same way that if, uh, if you're, you're a prejudiced, you know, white racist and a black person walks into your store and you leave, oh, no, I don't feel safe. A black person walked in, okay? You've got a, not the black person, but you've got a problem. You've got a problem because, you know, especially if you're the store owner, that's called segregation. You can't do that, all right? In the same way, if, if you walk into a store and somebody walks in openly carrying a firearm uh, in a state other than Florida because it's not legal here yet and you have a problem, you don't kick out the person carrying the gun because they have a right to do that. You leave. It's your problem. Go away. And a company that, uh, and a store that has a problem with concealed carry owners or open carry owners, uh, I, then the gun people don't go there. <laughs> There's no point in patronizing a store that uh, doesn't understand your constitutional rights. So Florida does not understand our constitutional rights. Florida does not understand that keeping and bearing, in other words, bearing openly is constitutional, and they have no power to make a law against that. And yet they do. It's actually in our Florida Constitution. Uh, the Florida Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, uh, which is the same one in, in the, the, the federal constitution that gives Congress you know, the power of what they can and can't do. Uh, in other words, it says what they can do, and of course, everything else they cannot do. Anyway, Article 1, Section 8, ironically, of the Florida Constitution says uh, what it should say in the beginning. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And then there's like dot, 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 but, <laughs> you know, except where we say it can, all right? And that's the part that's unconstitutional. So we need to take the Florida Constitution, take Article 1, Section 8, uh, Florida Care needs to do this. My, my gun friends need to do so many. I'll do this. You know, I'm going to put it on my list, right? Um, what they need to do is to take Florida Constitution and strip off everything after the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, period. That's it. That's it. All, all it does is copy what the Second Amendment should say. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed the Second Amendment has all this stuff about militias and well-regulated and all that kind of stuff. It didn't need to be there. I don't know who thought of that. That was dumb. Uh, what, all it should have said was the right of the people to keep and bear arms cannot be touched, period. Okay, that's pretty explicit. Anybody doesn't understand that? Give me a call, 215-383-3832. All right, let me check live chat while I'm here and see if we've got uh, anybody on live chat. Oh, not yet. <laughs> Just me. All right, so, tell me, so, so let me take a break right now. And it's now 727. That was a great airplane, by the way. So, 727. Let me play you a couple things here. And when I come back, we're going to go right into uh, Dana Hyde. Dana Hyde, who uh, died. Hyde died. 
Sorry. I mean, sorry, Dana Hyatt's family. Uh, they were there on the airplane, too, by the way. Apparently, the father and son was on the airplane when she died in turbulence on a business jet while strapped into a seat. You don't think that's suspicious? <laughs> we're going to talk about it. Let me play a couple things. Uh, I'll be right back, and we'll, we'll talk about the, uh, the, the latest addition uh, to the Clinton uh, death list. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care, and now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Greatcare, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, 
social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. Hmm. See all the fun we have here? Yeah, I actually made that before the uh, 2020 election, so unfortunately I was right. It was rather fortuitous, um, but that's kind of how it goes. So let's, uh, let's get into news. I've got all kinds of stuff to talk about uh, for the rest of this hour. Let's go down to the Action Radio newsroom and see what's on the teletype. So I'm going to start our story this morning uh, with uh, the New York Post, one of my favorite sources. Uh, it's just, it's, it's really fabulous. These guys have been around for years and years and years. Uh, it's run by Miranda Devine, who I would <laughs> divinely like to get on the show, quite frankly. Uh, she's Australian. And uh, I guess she has diversity then, right? Okay. Uh, even for a white woman. <laughs> I'm having too much fun with this. I'm sorry. All right. So let's get, uh, let's get the source. The New York Post, we, we're talking, the article is written by Ben Kessian, K-E-S, or is it Kesslen? K-E-S-S-L-A-M, it looks like. It's kind of red and faded. Hard to tell an L from an I, you know, when they, when they put the dots really close together. Maybe because I'm still kind of blind. Yes, I do want to fly airplanes, but oh, trifocals. Oh, there we go. Ben Kesslin, <laughs> March 6th, 2023. So this is March 8th, so we're talking two days ago. So this would have been Monday. Turbulence revealed as top D.C. lawyer's possible cause of death aboard a jet. Now, I'd love to see that on a death certificate. Well, I wouldn't love to see it, but I, just, I would find it interesting if the cause of death was listed as turbulence. Okay, a bunch of other people on the airplane, including the pilot and co-pilot, because uh, you have two people when you have a commercial, uh, even a biz jet needs two pilots. That's just FAA requirements, unless the jet is certified single pilot only, which I think is a dumb idea when you're carrying passengers. So uh, when I carry passengers on a jet, I'm probably going to have either somebody else that knows how to fly. I'll teach them how to fly, <laughs> you know, or I'll have uh, another, I'll have like an instructor on board just because. Besides, I got room. If I got a Learjet, I got to talk to somebody. 
you know, so when, so when we get the action radio Learjet, um, someone, some, there's going to be some lucky instructors around here. They're going to be doing a lot of flying. It's going to be fun. Anyway, so turbulence revealed as top DC lawyer's possible cause of death aboard a jet. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. So let me just read the first article. Then I'll, then I'll read you the good one. This one says a prominent DC attorney aboard a corporate jet that experienced severe turbulence died last week. An official said stability issues are likely to blame in the accident. Well, of course, you know, I'm a pilot, you know, flight instructor of several years. Pianchi's a pilot. Uh, we have other, we've had uh, Josh Yoder and uh, um, Dr. Still, I think it's David Stillwagon. Uh, he just put a, well, I actually find out, he just put a post a, another article on Substack. Love my next set of articles. It's going to be kind of fun. Oh, Seymour Hirsch has, uh, oh, it says 50 years with Daniel Ellsberg. That's the Pentagon Papers. When else have I got my, my email today? Kevin Stillwagon. There we go. Talking about Virgin Australia flight from Adelaide to Perth, forced to make emergency landing as first officer suffered heart attack. That should be interesting. Maybe I'll cover that one today, too. Kevin Stillwagon, if you go to his Substack newsletter, if I, let me pull it up right now. That's, that's kind of, that's pretty dramatic. Uh, we are not surprised. Not surprised at the bird. So here it is. This is Kevin Stillwagon, March 8th. So that was this morning. Virgin, well, probably last night. No, he's here. So it wouldn't, all right, anyway. Virgin Australia flight from Adelaide to Perth, forced to make emergency landing. Now, I know Australia. I lived there four years. Do you know what's between Adelaide and Perth? Nothing. <laughs> Desert. <laughs> the, 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 the great, uh, what was it? It's a, uh, uh, the Nullarbor Plain, I believe, is, is what it is. But it's a, it's a mass, the Great Western Desert. There's nothing between Adelaide and Perth. You know, Adelaide is about where New Orleans is in the United States. Perth is kind of like where Los Angeles or San Francisco, probably San Francisco. So it'd be a flight, it'd be a flight like from New Orleans, to, probably about the same distance too. So, so if you want to relate the United States from, from New Orleans to San Francisco would be the equivalent. Only the difference would be there'd be nothing in between, <laughs> just the big desert. You know, uh, not even kangaroos. I mean, it, nothing lives out there. It's the the Nullarbor Plain is one of the most desolate places on the face of the earth. Australian desert is huge. It's flat. It's brown. There's nothing there. Okay. So for a virgin flight to make an emergency landing, my first question is where? Where did they make an emergency landing? Uh, as first officer suffered heart attack 30 minutes after departure. So I guess that hopefully they came back to Adelaide. This one, I'll bet you that's what happened. Let's find out. Two days ago, I wrote, this is Kevin Stillwagon, who was on the show, by the way. It's not like I know, I know this guy. Right? He says, two days ago, I wrote about pilots and flight attendants suffering cardiac arrest in flight and then dying suddenly. So let's check his other article. Oh, by the way, if you have any flight experience at all, when you board an airliner, the first thing you tell the cabin crew is that you're a pilot. <laughs> okay? Because you don't want, if they need you, you know, they need to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, the captain wants to see you now, you know, and the captain might be dead. Okay, so you might be the captain. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not being flippant or funny about that. I mean, that's, that's a very likely possibility, given the fact that all these airline pilots were jabbed. Uh, that's what's contributing, I'm sure, to the pilot shortage uh, and the fact that they're still jabbering the new pilots. I mean, idiots. They're just absolute idiots. Now, you would think that a decent FAA um, head would, would deal with that. But, uh, you know, Mr. Diversity, Equity, and Idiocracy – Mr. Washington is not going to do that if he's appointed head of the FAA, but I don't think he's going to make it. All right, back to the article. Uh, one of my readers kindly wrote the, in the comment section about a very recent incident on Virgin Australia. This is that incident, and now we have more information. So here's the article from Virgin, Virgin Australia. Virgin Australia pilot suffers heart attack 30 minutes after takeoff, prompting emergency landing. Here's the more details. Virgin Australia, flight from Adelaide to Perth, was forced to make an emergency landing after the first officer reportedly suffered a heart attack just 30 minutes after departure. Gee, I wonder if that's what happened to our, our, our uh, Dale Hyde, our jab victim. Uh, I mean, our, our, our death on the flight from turbulence. Maybe it's a COVID shot. 
I, I didn't think about that till just now. We'll explore that as we go. Article says the incident occurred on March 3rd, 2023, uh, and resulted in an Airbus A320 being forced to return to Adelaide. I see, I told you there was nothing between Adelaide and Perth. Forced to return to Adelaide, where emergency responders were waiting to transport the sick pilot to the hospital. They died. It was no big rush. Uh, did they die, or is it says, uh, okay, it just says uh, first officer suffered heart attack. Okay, so hopefully they lived. Uh, this is the, the, the captain of the flight declared an emergency and successfully landed the aircraft around 70 minutes later. That's a long time. What were they doing up there all that time? That's a long time for CPR if it's necessary. In fact, it's too long. Okay, so Arrow Inside, that's their source. Uh, Vara, Vir- that's V-A-R-A, Virgin Australia Regional Airlines. So it's a local one. Airbus A320-200, registration VHVNB, because we have uh, November numbers in, in the United States. So our airplanes are N, you know, four numbers and then a letter or something like that. Uh, in the British Commonwealth countries, they're all letters. So VH would, VH would be the Australia code, VH. Uh, and then VNB would be this particular airplane. Performing flight VA-717, that's Virgin Airlines, uh, from Adelaide to Perth, was, was en route uh, from about, uh, about 240 nautical miles west-northwest of Adelaide. Okay, they're metrics. I don't know why they have NM. Uh, about 30 minutes into the flight, when the first officer suffered a heart attack and became incapacitated. Wow. Now, the first officers are generally younger than the captains, okay? Captains, you know, like 50s, 60s, well, maybe even 40s. Let's, let's say 45 to 65 would be like captain range. So first officers would be like 21 to 45, give or take. I'm just making this up. I don't know for sure. Young, really good captains like me, I bet you I would have made captain in 10 years because, you know, if I got the chance to fly for the airlines and everything hadn't gone wrong, I bet you I would have made captain in 10 years. Arrogant? Yeah, but I was pretty good at flying. Uh, I'll be pretty good when I get back into it, too. All right, so the captain declared pan-pan and returned to the aircraft to Adelaide for a safe landing. Okay, so emergency is mayday. All right, emergency is, is, is the captain says mayday, mayday, mayday. That's emergency. They need help now. I mean, like, now, as in right now. <laughs> you know, everybody else stops talking. If, you declare, if, you're, if you're on an airliner or if you're on a, a private aircraft and you say mayday, 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 everybody else shuts the hell up. <laughs> and the emergency folks come on and you get it dealt with, Okay. If you say pan pan, if you say pan pan, what that means is this is a distress situation. You need attention, um, but you're not declaring emergency yet. You're just like one step below an emergency, but you need help. And so everybody else better shut the hell up uh, while you get your, your situation handled. All right. The captain declared pan pan and returned the aircraft to Adelaide for a safe landing on runway. Okay. 70 minutes later. So 30 minutes out and they got back 70 minutes later. That's almost twice as long. What were they doing all that time? I just find that interesting. All right. So you fly out 30 minutes and it takes you 70 minutes to get back. That's that's um, that's that's twice as long plus 10 minutes. Okay, I'm suspicious. Back to my article in the New York Post. So let's get back to here. So it says a prominent D.C. attorney aboard a corporate jet that experienced severe turbulence died last week. And officials said stability issues are likely to blame in the accident. I don't think so. (laughs) I'll tell you why as we go. Dana Hyde, uh, 55, 55 years old, right, was identified by Connecticut State Police after the plane she was on made an emergency landing Friday afternoon at Bradley International Airport. I've actually been there. I think I went there on one of my uh, student flights. Uh, It's near Hartford, Connecticut. So it's it's fairly busy, but, you know, I was a pretty cocky student at the age of 16 (laughs) flying around New England in a Cessna 150. I think I'm pretty sure I landed. I know I landed somewhere in Hartford. It's in my logbooks. All right. Anyway, National Transit, the NTSB, the National, slow down, Greg, the National Transportation Safety Board told the Post in a statement that its investigators are now looking at a reported trim issue that occurred prior to the in-flight upset. Well, I thought they said it was turbulence. 
Let me explain trim. Trim is like cruise control, <laughs> you know, on a car. So what trim does, so if you have an airplane and you're climbing out and you don't want to hold the stick back in the climb, you use trim. So what trim does is it's, it's, a, it's, it's on the elevators. They have also aileron and um, um, rudder trim, but I'll worry about that. Let's just put the, the main trim. The main trim on a small airplane, and probably a big airplane too, is elevator trim. In other words, pointing the nose up, pointing the nose down. So rather than hold what they call back pressure, in other words, holding the stick back against the pressure of the air, you know, which keeps the nose up, you, you set the trim. What the trim does, it holds the elevators in that same position um, with no control forces. In fact, you pretty much let it go or just hold it extremely lightly. So it takes all, of, it takes all the control pressure off the stick. So you don't get tired. You don't get fatigued, you know, holding a stick back when you can set the trim um, and uh, the airplane will basically maintain the climb. You can also use the autopilot. <laughs> yeah, autopilot sets the trim. In fact, I think the autopilot uses the trim system uh, to keep the airplane you know, level, climbing, descending, turning, whatever you want to do. And so that's how that works. So you can turn to a heading, the airplane will bank, engage in the turn, maintain altitude, roll out of the turn on the heading that you select, and off you go. So autopilots are kind of cool, uh, especially when you're in instruments or you're in the clouds and you have no idea where you are anyway. Um, so that's kind of fun. All right, so, so, that's, so that's what trim does. Trim's like cruise control. You know cruise control? You still have to steer the airplane, uh, the car. If you have a car with cruise control, you're still steering it, but you don't have to touch the accelerator. The accelerator is maintaining, so all you're doing is steering the car. Um, so that's kind of like what trim is. It's probably the best approximation. Uh, an autopilot, the best approximation for all you drivers, would be a self-driving car. <laughs> you know, and you know the problem self-driving cars have? Yeah, that's the problem pilots have too. That's why you want pilots there. All right, back to the article. The National Transportation Safety Board told a told the Post, that would be the New York Post, in a statement that its investigators are now looking at a reported trim issue that occurred prior to the in-flight upset. Really, what would cause trim to suddenly go bad? And if trim did go bad, the answer is very simple. Disengage the trim. <laughs> you could use a circuit breaker. You could turn it off. <laughs> you, know, you know, with most airplanes, it's manual. It's a manual system. Uh, it's a wheel. It's a big old wheel. You know, so we used to use a, the trim all the time. And the, the elevator trim is the biggest wheel. Because, you know, you want fine adjustments and then, you know, or you want to make it, be able to move it a lot. So on, a, on the airliners, ever since probably the 50s, they've had electric trim. Uh, and they have it on small planes, too. So you got a little switch. Ever see the gun switch on Top Gun? You know, on the, on the control stick, with a little red, little real red knob. And it's got missiles, guns, and I don't know what else is on there. And they, they flick that little thing. Okay, if you imagine one of those on a control stick or yoke, as they call it, if you're like a real aviation person, you call it the yoke. I, I just call it the stick, right? Even though it looks like a, a steering wheel. Little thing for your thumb at the top, uh, and that's electric trim. So you can push it up, you can push it down, you, can, you know, and, and then you can set your trim without having to use the wheel. And so that way you can fly the airplane, set the trim, realize when the control pressures are completely neutral, and leave it alone. And off you go, okay? If there's a problem with the trim, you turn it off. You know, that would be, uh, I don't know what they do on the modern planes, but we used to have a circuit breaker. We just, you know, either if it's a manual system, you just don't use it. <laughs> okay. That's the first thing. And if it's an electric system, you pull a circuit breaker and you turn it off. Okay. Disengage it. Then you put it in the aviation logs, the maintenance logs and say, hey, we got a problem called a squawk. And a squawk is basically a maintenance item. So after every flight, the pilots write down their squawks. They write down things that the maintenance people need to address before the next flight. So the first thing you want to check is the maintenance logs of this airplane. Did it have a trim issue that was either addressed or not addressed? If it's addressed and that's legal and they found it working and signed it off, the plane's okay to go back to flight. Uh, if they, uh, if it comes up again, then you investigate it. But at least they did, I think. 
if they did the wrong thing, <laughs> if they reported, if the pilots reported that there was an issue with the trim, they didn't take care of it. They threw the plane back into service. Anyway, now they've got a problem <laughs> because you've got to check. Uh, if the pilot re- reports a maintenance item, you know, then you got to investigate it. Okay. And someone, a mechanic has to certify that that plane's okay to return to service. And if they don't do that, you can't fly it again. And a trim system is a critical flight you know, thing. So let's, that, that's, that's the first thing I'd investigate, but I'm not reporting for the New York Post, just you guys. Okay, National Transport, back to the article. The National Transportation Safety Board told the Post in a statement that its investigators are now looking at, okay, I read that, I'm sorry. Hyde, this is Dana Hyde, of Cabin John, I guess that's the town, Maryland, was injured during the severe turbulence and pronounced dead at Hartford St. Francis Medical Center following the emergency landing. And that's what the police said. So how do you die of turbulence? Well, the only way you could die of turbulence and this happens occasionally, people get injured in airliners, is you're not in your seat with your seatbelt on. Well, people on a biz jet, there's, there's nowhere to really walk around. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if they, I, I imagine they have bathroom facilities, but if it's severe turbulence, you're going to get the, the fasten the seatbelt sign. Everybody's going to be in their seats strapped down as hard as they can, you know, praying, holding the rosary, whatever else people do, you know, when it gets turbulent. People get upset. I've been in turbulence. I've, I've flown on the edge of a hurricane in an airliner. It, the flight attendants never left their seats. Uh, it was the bumpiest flight I've ever been on. I mean, we're talking major up and down drafts, thousands of feet of, per minute. That plane was not holding altitude. We were all over the sky. But plane held together. I'm still here. You know, planes hold together. It's not the, it's not the air that affects an airplane. It's the ground. <laughs> the ground affects it. <clears throat> There's also something called the safe stalling speed, the, the uh, uh, MCA, the minimum control. What is it? MCA. Uh, I gotta look at this, this, this kind of stuff. I have to remember. Anyway, so there's a speed where the airplane will stall rather than be damaged by the g-forces created by severe turbulence. So the safe stalling speed, uh, the the M's, I forgot, MCA. I have to look it up. I'll do it during a break. <laughs> I'm gonna take when I play my interview uh, in a little bit. I'll, I'll go find out what uh, uh, maneuvering speed. Okay, thanks, Greg. There we go. So maneuvering speed. So maneuvering speed, which is not really maneuvering speed, it's actually the safe stalling speed, is a speed based on the weight of the airplane that you slow the airplane down to so that if you have severe up and down drafts, which create massive G-forces, the airplane, the wing will stall. In other words, the air will stop flowing over the wing smoothly, uh, at which point the pilot lowers the nose to get the airplane, the air flowing smoothly over the wing again. But what it means is that the plane's not going to be damaged. Before the forces, the G-forces have a chance to bend the wings and do damage, uh, the air stops flowing over the wings, and it's actually a safety measure. So the plane goes to zero G, you know, briefly during the stall, uh, and that takes all the, all the load off the wings. And by doing that, you save the airplane, okay? So if the airplane is in zero G because it stalls, you know, it feels a little strange if you're not used to it. We, we practice it in uh, flight training all the time. Uh, but it saves the airplane, and that's what the air – so the pilot should have been at their maneuvering speed based on the weight of the airplane, weight of the airplane because the fuel is being burned. Then you take the weight that you're supposed to be at landing after you burned all your fuel and you use that speed. And that way you know that through the entire flight, you're covered by flying the, the lightest weight just before landing uh, for the entire flight. And that's how you set your maneuvering speed. It helps to be a flight instructor. You know stuff like this. All right. So back again, let's get back to what the NTSB said. Hide. Oh, Captain John. Okay. All right. There we go. That's what the police said. And the police generally aren't pilots. Oh, some are. It's interesting. A lot of law enforcement uh, folks fly. Uh, very similar skills. You know, if, you, if you're going to be a good pilot, you're probably going to be a good cop. If you're a good cop, you're probably going to be a good pilot. They work together very well. So do mechanics, contractors, plumbers, uh, things like that. People that fix things are also generally really good pilots. So tradespeople, blue-collar workers, make great pilots. Okay? 
you know, your scientists, engineers, you know, physicists, uh, lawyers, doctors, all those folks that focus really hard on one thing. Nah, terrible pilots. The record proves it. All right. Back to the article. Hyde was among five people aboard the flight, which originated in Keene, New Hampshire, a lovely little town. Been there, too. And was meant to land in Leesburg, Virginia. Uh, haven't been there. Uh, when it started to experience severe turbulence over New England. Now, my question is, since airplanes don't fly in a vacuum, they fly with a lot of other airplanes around, uh, how come nobody else had turbulence? I haven't seen a report, a single report of another airplane experiencing turbulence flying over New England at the time that this airplane did. Were they at a different altitude, a different routing, a completely different weather system? Something doesn't make sense here. Okay. So who else reported turbulence? That's my next question. Then it says Hyde served as a counsel on the 9-11 Commission. Oops and the Association, uh, Association Director of the General Government Programs of the Office of Management Budget under the Obama administration, uh, according to her LinkedIn. They had to go to that. That's interesting. Uh, so, so she's an Obama person, um, and which means you know, Clinton and Obama have a really you know, terrible relationship. <laughs> so this is why it's really suspicious. Now, to be on the Clinton death list, we don't prove, because it's really hard to do, that, uh, that Clinton ordered this person killed. No. But it just looks really suspicious when a whole bunch of folks that are associated with Bill or Hillary Clinton, especially if they're about to testify in court, uh, end up uh, dead, <laughs> you know, dead by a suicide that looks suspicious or something like this that looks suspicious. So anytime we have a death of a person associated with the Clintons, you know, that looks suspicious where the answers are not readily apparent, um, then they go on the Clinton death list. That's what it is. Uh, rumor conspiracy, you bet. <laughs> but it's it's interesting to speculate, and of course we'll see uh, we'll see what happens. Okay, the agency will analyze that the the tra- National Transportation Board will analyze information from the flight data recorder, that's the black box, uh, and other sources of information like weather data to further determine the cause. Well, so we should do. Let me see. It was flying in New England. Let's check the weather from New England. I wonder if I can do that real quick. So let's see. Uh, let's put uh, New England weather. Hang on here. New England, England. England weather. I guess it was Friday. Would be Friday, March. So that'd be Friday, March three, March third. Okay, I think it occurred then. So let's see what the New England weather was. Got a weather map. We'll see what comes up. Uh, channel. Uh, Snowmass forecast, March. Oh, I guess snow was forecast. Hmm, that's interesting. A little detective work here. Let's see what we can find. Uh, Snowmax, how much accumulation to expect in Massachusetts? Sloppy coating to two inches. <laughs> okay. You might want to keep your shovel handy a little longer. A messy, wintry mix, including snow, has arrived in Massachusetts. That was March 4th. Okay. So, yeah, so it looked like it was snowing, which would make sense, this being March in New England. The storm Okay, so there's where your turbulence might have come from, bringing with it a wintry mix of snow, sleet, and rain that continues Saturday. So far, local meteorologists are expecting higher snow accumulations uh, will be seen at the state's higher elevations north of the Mass Pike, which is the Massachusetts Turnpike. That's the main highway, Big Toll Road. Below, see which areas of Massachusetts and the region forecasters are saying could see accumulating snowfall in the storm. So there was a storm. There was snowfall. Most of the snowfall is up in New Hampshire. And Vermont, which is where this flight originated, uh, it looks like, uh, but it looks like in colder temperatures, and it looks like uh, once you get out of uh, uh, the lower half of New England, Connecticut, Rhode Island, those states, that's pretty much it. So we're looking at a New England storm. Um, now, the question is, who else experienced turbulence? Looks like uh, a storm, because there's storms all the time. Most pilots fly around storms. 
you know, so my next question is, did they, were they given the option to fly around? Did they ask for the option to fly around? These planes have radar. Okay, they can see storms on radar. They have, they have storm scopes, which detect lightning, lightning strikes. But uh, business especially, biz jets, blah, 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 start again, have advanced weather radar on board. And if they don't have it, they can ask the ground people, are we flying into a storm? I did that once flying across uh, the United States with a student. We're flying, I actually flew to the Bahamas from Oakland, and we're flying back from Oakland. And uh, I got to, it was an AOPA convention in New Orleans, and the weather sucked. You know, you listen to, they had a recorded weather thing called the ATIS. That's Automatic Terminal, uh, Automated Terminal Information Service. In other words, the weather. And it said thunderstorms, all quadrants. <laughs> Oops. And we're a little twin-engine airplane without any weather radar or a storm scope or anything like that. So I call into uh, the New Orleans approach folks, and I say, hey, you know, Cessna, November, whatever we were, um, we've got, you know, uh, can, you, can you vector us around the storms? And they're like, yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> And the problem, the funny part was, and this is why it's so, so tragic, the pilots don't ask for help, and this is how they die, that uh, the next plane behind us, yeah, we're light twin also, we, uh, we don't have weather radar, can you help us out too? Oh, sure, no problem. Next plane after that. <laughs> Hi, yeah, us too. Okay. <laughs> the controller's like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, six airplanes called in. Six airplanes called in requesting help. Now, the thing is, we were the first to call in. So my question, I'm, I've always wondered, if we didn't call in and ask for help, how many of those other airplanes were, were flying into a known thunderstorm area without weather radar or storm scopes to register the lightning strikes and did not ask for help from air traffic control? That, to me, is insanity. That is a dereliction of duty as a pilot, uh, the responsibility to yourself, to, to your co-pilot, to everybody else who's on board that airplane, to everybody who's under that airplane. If you are not weather qualified with storm scopes, or weather radar, you better damn well ask for help if it's been reported that the airplane or the airport or the area that you want to fly into has known thunderstorms. That's just common sense because air traffic control are your best friends and they can vector you around the thunderstorms. Thunderstorms generally aren't that big, two or three miles across. So if you avoid them, the recommended is 20 miles. So it's recommended you fly 20 miles from a thunderstorm, which is only two or three miles across. That's generally not that big a deviation. And if there are thunderstorms between you and your airport, you either go somewhere else, you hold for a while, um, or you come up with another plan, <laughs> you know, generally, or you get vectored around, and they kind of steer you around them and uh, maybe get you to another runway or things like that. But the thing is, all, the, all these services are available to pilots. So my next question is, if the pilots, were they storm, you know, how, how well equipped was this airplane for the weather, and did they ask for help? We don't know yet. It's going to be all in the report. Back to the article. The article says the Bombardier Challenger 300 aircraft on which she died is owned by Missouri-based internet service provider Conexon. That's C-O-N-E-X-O-N, the company said. The two crew members and the two other passengers are being interviewed by investigators. Well, I bet they are. Who did not say if the four others had injuries, according to the NTSB. See, this is what also, also looks suspicious, okay? So you got one person who died of turbulence and, and nobody else is reporting injuries? That looks a little suspicious. <laughs> Okay. Uh, then it says fatalities due to turbulence are very rare. Uh, but last year, the Federal Aviation Administrator warned pilots of the same Bombardier model to be particularly careful due to, a, to previously trim issues that affected stability. Okay. Turbulence and stability are two different things. Stability is how, is how the airplane, how good the airplane is, at, you know, flying itself and how easy it is to control in the air. Maneuverability is how, how fast you can turn, how fast you can maneuver it. Uh, stability is how much resistance there is to that and how stable it is. So stability is not necessarily uh, – you want some stability, but not too much. 
especially if you're a fighter airplane, they actually have no stability. They're, they're negative stability. Without computers, you know, your F-16s and F-15s and, and uh, I don't know about the F-14, but anyway, the newer F-18s, <clears throat> without, without computers flying them, they would completely fly all out of the sky. They are so unstable, uh, and that's to make it more maneuverable. But they are so unstable that they need computers to fly them. And if you lose your computer, then you better well be, you know, hauling the engine back and descending down and landing <laughs> because you're not going to be, uh, you're going to have problems. Um, I'm not sure how, you know, uh, but they're, they're designed with negative stability because that means they can turn on a dime and they can do all kinds of cool things that you saw in, you know, Top Gun. Uh, they also have thrust vectoring and other cool things, but that's for another show. All right. Anyway, so, so back to this, this, uh, this idea of stability. Stability is good, but you can't have too much stability or you can't turn. You know, if the airplane is so stable that it, it can only fly straight and level, you can't turn, you can't climb, you can't descend. Well, it's crazy. You know, what if you have an emergency? What if you have to turn out of the way of another airplane and you've got all that stability and you can only turn slowly? And I referenced the Titanic and the iceberg that they couldn't get out of the way of. That, that ship was probably very stable, so stable, in fact, it couldn't turn. And that's what happened. So you need to have maneuverability and stability. There's a balance in there. Anyway, it says fatalities due to turbulence are very rare. I would say unheard of. I've never heard anybody dying of turbulence. Only if their seatbelt was unbuckled and if the pilot, you know, announced there was turbulence. And I, I, I imagine they have a seatbelt sign in these little business jets. I have not had the pleasure yet. But when uh, Donald Trump invites me to Mar-a-Lago and says, Greg, I'm sending you the jet, then I'll report back what's on a jet. <laughs> I'll let you know. Anyway, trim refers to adjustments that are made to an airplane's control surfaces to ensure it is stable and level in flight. That is not true. <laughs> I just told you why, what a trim is. Trim is like cruise control. You set it for where you want to be either a climb, uh, a descent, uh, level flight. In fact, I use trim all the time. Pilots use trim all the time, so you don't have to hold the control stick. That's why it's there. Then it says the FAA has documented multiple instances where the plane uh, nosedived as pilots try to gain altitude and said in some cases pilots should make more thorough inspections of pitch trim, which is a secondary flight control. Okay, this isn't true either. This is why journalists should, should – uh, the only people who should write about aviation stuff should be pilots. You know? So all you journalists who want to write about flying, go take a bunch of flying lessons. Okay? So at least you know what you're talking about because you're not, you're not helping anybody um, by what you're doing, spreading all this misinformation. <laughs> okay. So uh, if you've got multiple instances where the airplane nosedived, that would be a downdraft. So in other words, the air moves – that's what turbulence is. Didn't you guys watch uh, The Hunt for Red October? When um, what's the name? The guy that uh, killed the the uh, the producer, uh, Alec Baldwin. So who shouldn't have had his finger on the trigger? Shouldn't have pointed the gun at somebody? Should have checked whether there was ammo in the gun and did everything wrong. You know, he's an actor. All right. Anyway, so Alec Baldwin, when he was younger, and did the Hunt for Red October with Sean Connery and a bunch of other folks. Um, the guy that was in Jurassic Park, him. <laughs> well, he played Russian. He actually had a pretty good Russian accent. He says Ohio. I want to visit Ohio. Anyway, so he got killed uh, in the film. Anyway, so uh, one of the things that um, Alec Baldwin says is he's crossing, uh, he's on this big jet airliner flying somewhere, um, I guess to Washington for a briefing. Uh, and the flight attendant says, you know, uh, you should sleep. The, plane, the flight will go faster. And Alec Baldwin says, I can't sleep. She says, why not? He says, turbulence. She says, what? You know, the earth heats up, the sun heats the earth, the air rises, the air falls, air moves up and down, updrafts, updrafts and downdrafts, turbulence. I can't sleep. She's like, oh, okay. Well, that's what turbulence is. Turbulence is air moving up and down. Airplanes are designed to handle it. That's the whole point. <laughs> you know, airplanes, you know, airplanes fly in turbulence. And as long as they fly at a safe speed where the, where the wing will cease developing lift for a brief second while they recover, then you'll be fine. So, so you can have the worst turbulence in the world. Well, I mean, not the worst turbulence in the world. I wouldn't want to fly through a hurricane or a thunderstorm, although planes do that. 
Uh, in fact, the old planes used to fly through thunderstorms all the time because they didn't have radar and no idea where they were going. So they flew right through a thunderstorm. The, when they knew it, uh, it, they knew it was a thunderstorm, it was because it was really bouncy. <laughs> it was a lot of rain out there. It was really dark. And the pilot would say, hmm, I guess we're in a thunderstorm. <laughs> anyway, so FA, so uh, yeah, so anyway, they, so, so they're, the fact that they, had, they went up and down in a storm that we knew was there, that the snowstorm in New England, I showed that with the previous article, means that they had to deal with severe weather. And the question is, what was on board for equipment? Did they avoid the storm? Uh, could they have made the decision not to go or go either earlier or later? Um, so all these, these are all the variables that, uh, that need to be uh, discussed. Okay, let's get a really cool site. <laughs> now we're going to get the good stuff. Pepe's Friend Zone. Pepe, apostrophe S, friend, F-R-E-N, zone. Uh, this, is a, this is a Substack article I found last night looking for this stuff. Another Clinton associate dies suddenly from plane turbulence. No one else injured on flight. <laughs> okay. And this is from Pepe Lives Matter. <laughs> Yo, Pepe. Hola. Como esta? This is where I need uh, Josie. Anyway, uh, Dana Hyde. Let's get to the article because I've only got uh, – I want to be able to play you something at age 15 and then have that uh, done in time for um, Diane Warner to come in and give us the election integrity, medical freedom report, whatever she decides. We'll see. Article says, Dana Hyde, Clinton associate, has suddenly died from, get this, plane turbulence. <laughs> Absolutely nothing to see here. Not only was she in tight with all the deep state players, but she worked on the 9-11 commission. Here's the kicker. That's where the Patriot Act came from? Right. Here's the kicker. No one else was injured on her flight. Uh-huh. This seems quite suspicious if you ask me. How many Clinton associates have ended up dying in untimely deaths over the years? Too many to count. Here's the quote. We can confirm that the aircraft was owned by Conexon, C-O-N-E-X-O-N, and that Dana Hyde was the wife of Conexon partner. So the, the, the company's partner was on board, Jonathan Chambers. Okay. Oh, different names. Dana Hyde, Jonathan Chambers. All right. Anyway, uh, company spokesman Abby Carrer, Carrer, C-A-R-E-R-E, said in an email, <laughs> well, that's direct, Jonathan and his son were on the flight also and not injured in the incident. So one woman dies of turbulence. Her husband and her son are just fine. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so in other words, if she was killed on the flight, uh, her family was right there. Now it gets more interesting. All right. Anyway, Conexon specializes in expanding high-speed Internet service to rural communities. Well, good for you people. Let's see. This is the – we got here an article, I guess the video link. And it's a nice little video link. The person who died identified as 55-year-old Dana Hyde, H-Y-D-E, of Cabin John, Maryland, was brought to – okay, there we go. Uh, I read that, read that, read that, read that. Okay. Her husband, Dana Hyde's husband, is connected to a company that provides high-speed internet to rural communities. We already said that. Dana J. Hyde, uh, venture partner. Dana Hyde is a senior executive. With, all right, here's, so this is, looks like, um, looks like a, a, um, a uh, what is it, LinkedIn kind of thing. Dana J. Hyde. This is a woman who died, 55 years old, on a jet uh, from turbulence, and no bus was hurt. Little suspicious. This is Dana Hyde is a senior executive with over 25 years of experience in law, public policy, and international development. So she's a smart cookie, right? She served eight years in the Obama administration as chief executive officer of the Millennium Challenge Corporation, MCC, associate director of the White House Office of Management and Budget, so she knows what the numbers are, senior advisor to Deputy Secretary of State, uh, State that would have been Madeleine Albright maybe, Hyde also served as counsel, so lawyer, to the 9-11 Commission as a special assistant to the Deputy Attorney General in the Clinton administration. Well, there you go. So there's your Clinton connection. Earlier in her career, Hyde practiced law at Wilmer Hale in London. That's interesting. And in Washington, D.C. at Zuckerman Spader. <laughs> is, is, that, uh, is, that, is that the family, the, the Facebook dude? 
uh, Spader, S-P-A-E-D-E-R. She's currently a partner. She's not currently. She was currently. <laughs> she was a partner at the venture capital firm JVP. And that's uh, September 25th, 2018. So the little gaps in here. Then it says, article says, this is what Pepe says, since leaving the White House, Ms. Hyde worked as a consultant and served for two years as the co-chair of the Aspen Institute's Partnership for an Inclusive Economy. So she's a diversity person. You know, DEI, diversity, uh, equity, and uh, idiocracy, <laughs> my new term. Quote is, during her time with us, Dana was a brilliant and generous colleague who worked closely with programs across the organization to build partnerships and enhance our collective work. I guess they were collectivists. That's John Purves, P-U-R-V-E-S, a spokesman for the Institute, said in a statement reported to uh, NBC News. The thoughts of our entire Aspen Institute. Okay, there we go. The Aspen Partnership for an Inclusive Economy. Here we go. This is this is leftist, right? Supreme leftist is an initiative that ununites institute experts with a diverse range. Ununites. That's what it says. Ununites. Un ununites. Yeah, there we go. Institute experts with a diverse range of public, private, and nonprofit leaders to help reconstruct our global economy. So, uh, so it drives greater security, opportunity, and resilience for all. In other words, the global is trying to destroy the world. Okay? Back to the article. Investigators are saying it could have been due to a trim issue. It was not clear how she died. Really? <laughs> woman dies on an airplane uh, surrounded by other people and it's not, it's, it's not clear? <laughs> what do the medical professionals say? This is according to professionals. Here we go. The chances of dying from turbulence with a seatbelt on is glee zero. Let me say that again. According to professionals, the chances of dying from turbulence with a seatbelt on is practically zero. So keep that in mind. The only way I can think of is it was so loose you still hit your head on something. That's usually what does it, head and neck trauma. Right? Here we go. More quotes. On Monday, investigators with the National Transportation Safety Board said they are looking into a reported trim issue. Okay, I read that. Trim says, okay. All right, the repeats. This is kind of a fragmented article. So here we go. Let's conclude. So what we have here is a globalist connection connected with Clinton and the deep state inexplicably dying, not from a plane crash, but simply plain turbulence. Definitely a story worth keeping one's eye on. This smells suspicious on its face and like anons have learned over the years, that would be QAnon folks, I'll say anon, A-N-O-N-S. So this is QAnon folks, have learned over the years, oftentimes where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, there we go. <laughs> He says, consider, you know, subscribing. Well, I think you should consider subscribing to my Substack site, too. I put up some, I think, some pretty interesting stuff. We actually graphed liberty in my last article. So go to gregpenglis.substack.com. Check out my article on, on the actual graphic interpretation of where liberty is uh, based on freedom, tyranny, and anarchy. And we, we graphed liberty. Uh, Jan Clark and I did this for our Australian uh, Bill of Rights. Actually, uh, I'm going to be on a Zoom call with Australia this weekend uh, with Jan Clark. Uh, to talking about our Australian Bill of Individual Rights, as that is now catching on due to the horrendous things that happened in um, Australia during COVID. So let me, let me, this is, so I think where I need to look next is this Aspen Partnership for an Inclusive Economy. They sound really dangerous. Almost, they sound like an like a adjunct of the World Economic Forum, you know, where they have the Glo- Global Leaders Program, which I'm calling Communist Boot Camp. So let me read this again. The Aspen Partnership for an Inclusive Economy, the APIE, you guys want to look it up and tell me, that'd be great, right? Is an initiative that ununites institute experts with a diverse range of public, private, and nonprofit leaders to help reconstruct our global economy. Uh, It's already working, folks. Uh, So it drives greater security, for who? Opportunity, again, for who? And resilience for all. 
APIE combines the ideas, talents, and resources of the public, private, and nonprofit sectors, in other words, fascism, uh, to address income and information inequality in America. Income and information inequality. I guess uh, I'm surprised they didn't say equity. So what is income and inequality? Does that mean where someone with more talent and harder work earns more than somebody with less talent and doesn't work as hard? That's inequality? No, that's opportunity. <laughs> that's, that's just called uh, uh, logic and working hard. So what's information inequality? I'm really curious about that. Is that when, I don't know, Action Radio is suppressed because we're telling the truth? Yeah, that's not equal. It's not equal to the sites that are putting out you know, leftist BS all over the place, and they're not fact-checked, and those of us telling the truth like we do here, are suppressed. Interesting. All right, I got more stuff to play on, on the Soros, Zuckerberg, Koch brothers, money at CPAC, and a bunch of other things. But that gives you a basic idea. So Dana Hyde, uh, I'm sorry you've left this world, but we need to follow up and find out what happened to you because this looks really suspicious. All right, so let me set up my interview here, and uh, I'll get stuck into this. We have just enough time, and this will be finished right before uh, Diane Warner gets on. Let me find my interview, see how much time it is. Chuck Bonta, where's Chuck? Chuck, Chuck there you are, Chuck. 43 minutes. Yeah, it's, uh, this is perfect. This is going to work out. I'll stop right at the top of the hour. So this is back from my days at WEBY Radio, my first full-time job in radio. Uh, this interview is from June 2nd of 2017. So it's almost six years old. All right, June, I've been, I started uh, with WEBY in March, so March, April, May, June. And then just, so it's been three months later. All right, so I've got about three months of radio experience. Actually, four months. Uh, now, three months. So I'm kind of new. So I talk a lot. I talk faster than I do now. I know. Hard to imagine, right? Uh, and you'll hear things about WBY. You'll hear phone numbers. Our phone number here at uh, Action Radio is 215-383-3832. Anything you hear to the contrary is from an old recording from six years ago. <laughs> okay. So let me start this now. Uh, have some, in fact, let me reduce the volume so I don't get blasted like you usually do. And let's talk to Chuck Bonta uh, in one of my early interviews. I think it was my first gun interview. Um, and it was all about uh, when I got my PCW print in Florida, back at the top of the hour. Yeah, baby. <laughs> so my guest in the studio is Chuck Bonta, and he is my concealed carry instructor, and he did such a fabulous job in class, I had to invite him back. So good morning, Chuck. How are you today? Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I think this will be great. So if you, if you, you'll be able to give contact information and class information and things like that in a little bit. Okay. But what I want to talk about is, is some of the things that you don't think about until you actually have to do it. So the process um, is, is pretty, pretty straightforward. Florida has what they call a shall issue system, correct? That is correct. So okay. as long as there's nothing in your background that prohibits you from owning a, a, a firearm, okay. Florida is required to issue a concealed carry permit. Okay. And so they require you to go to a class. Correct. Which I did with you. Okay. And then you have to go to Department of Agriculture. That's who issues the permit. Okay. Why agriculture? I don't know. And they, they issue a lot of uh, different license, licenses for people, even uh, a private investigator license oh, really? and, and so forth. Yes. Huh. It's interesting. The, the commissioner of agriculture is running for governor now. So Adam, Adam Putnam. Adam Putnam. Is that a good thing? I think so. Okay, good. So he's, well, I mean, you know, if he's managing the system. The people were really nice. I went down to, I think it was Fort Walton Beach, the office down there, uh, and just did the process. There's paperwork. There are things to fill out, paid the money, and then a few weeks later, 
uh, my concealed carry permit uh, came in the mail. And you're starting to see a lot of tax collectors, local tax collectors, process for those uh, concealed carry permits as well. Tax collectors? Tell me about that. The, uh, and, and they process. They don't actually issue the permit to you. It still okay. comes from the Department of Ag, but the tax collectors uh, process it. Uh, now, the local tax collectors charge an additional fee for that, so okay. they're, they're going to get their cut out of it. But uh, I know that uh, Walton and Okaloosa do. Bay okay. County has just started. Okay. When you said tax collectors, I thought <laughs> that was my initial thought. I didn't realize that they're they're helping you because tax collectors do DMV stuff as well now. Yes. Interesting. This is this is very different for me. So again, um, I wrote an article um, which is posted on on a website Canada Free Press, who have been writing for it for a few years now, and it sort of documents my experience with this whole process uh, because in California when you're thinking to yourself I want my second amendment rights I want to behave you know I want to be able to exercise you know the freedoms that that people fought for I want to be able to do all the things that uh, you know an American citizen can do and I can't do that so you know when I got this this wonderful gig here in Florida I thought well I'm going to get a permit and, and and carry this out but there's things you don't expect there's a lot of things you don't expect absolutely like like it's bulky (laughs) it's awkward you know, go ahead. you have some stories from people? Well, uh, one thing to consider, and, and a lot of people go to a, either a show or a class and, and see these guns in the cases and, and handle them, but until they actually wear one for six or seven hours a day, they, they don't realize the uh, adjustments you have to make. Yeah, you also have different uh, size people, too. So you have smaller folks, you have bigger folks, you have you know, larger, thinner, you know, all these are considerations for, for, you know, where to and how to carry, and you've got holster considerations. Yeah, there's a whole list of things you have to go through. Right, and, and especially down here in the South, the uh, majority of time I'm wearing shorts, you okay. know, nine months out of the year. Yeah. If I were up north, it'd be a lot easier to conceal larger guns and so forth, but here in the South where you're in shorts and T-shirts, you have to, you have to adjust. Um, I remember in class you had clothes that were specifically made for for carrying, uh, how, how does that work? And there are and there are products out there, especially for women with concealed carry purses. Okay. But a lot of these tactical clothing companies will make uh, compartments, Velcro enclosed compartments in your shirts and okay. shorts and and stuff like that. And you'd be amazed at some places you could hide or conceal guns on you or weapons in general. Can I give away what you did in class, or do you want to save that for the next class? Uh, let's let's hold on to that. Okay, one. that's fine. <laughs> so you got to take chess class to find out what we're talking about here. But uh, so, and are these as secure as holsters? These tactical clothing? Uh, no matter what you what you or how you carry, a gun still needs to be carried in some type of, of holster. Okay. Oh, so there's holsters in the clothing. Yes. Well, no, they're not contained in in the clothing. Okay. But a lot of these smaller uh, nylon holsters, because however you carry, you need to always have your trigger guard covered. Okay. Is that a legal requirement or just good? It's sense? not a legal requirement, but it is good common sense. Okay. My holster does that. Uh, I don't know if I can give them a plug. Uh, Teeth or Tice? Have you seen them? It's like a, it's, a, it's a leather holster, um, but it's got the actual part that carries the gun. So there's like leather against your body, but they make a, a Kydex uh, container for the gun. So it's a combination of the two of them, and so it's really comfortable because the leather kind of molds to you. But the Kydex, the, the strength of that holds the gun firmly, so you get the best of both worlds. You don't have the rigidity of, of like a polymer holster uh, stuck against you, but you don't have leather that moves and bends and uh, you know it would would loosen up and, and carry a gun more loosely. So to me, it's, it's perfect. But that's the thing; you really have to go out and try these different things, don't you? A lot of different stuff, and uh, you know, some of the guys that I hang around around with, we kid about the the gun of the month because it seems like you're changing. You know, this month I'm carrying this, and this month I'm, I'm carrying uh-huh. that. So it it does 
this change. Interesting. So if you want to call in, if you have a question, um, now's the time to do it. 850 area code 623-1330. We'll take calls the whole hour. Uh, 623-1330. If you're new to carrying, you need some advice. Uh, if you haven't done it for a while, do you find people will get their carry permit and not use it, for example? Yes. That's uh, not good. They, they, they like the thought of having that concealed carry permit and okay. have that option. Right. But in reality, and un- unless you're comfortable with it, um, it is an adjustment. People tend to be paranoid. Right. They think, uh, well, I'm going to carry a gun because I'm going here. But time and time again, you've seen instances on, on, on TV and so forth where people in just general life yeah. going to Walmart, coming back from the store, something like that, when, when situations arise that, that you need to. I would be heartbroken if, as a concealed carry holder, I was, you know, God forbid, in an emergency where I had to actually use this, but didn't, decided that day, oh, I didn't want to, it was too hot, you know, it's not convenient, you know, I just, I just assumed just run out and go to the store for a few minutes and not, and had that be the one time in my life when it would have been my duty and responsibility to save my life, other people's lives, and, or, you know, considering what happened in Manchester with terrorist attack and things like that, you know, to not carry, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's one thing for a citizen who's decided not to get a CCW. They don't want the permit. They don't want, that's not an option for them. Uh, I understand that. That's perfectly valid. But if you do get the concealed carry permit and then don't use it, you know, you're a person that's gone through the process to get this, and now you're saying, okay, I want the, the, the title, but I don't want the responsibility and, and the use of it. I couldn't do that. And, and my wife is actually carries less than I do. She has, uh, keeps a, a firearm in, in the vehicle. Okay. And she has actually had two instances where she's had to had to uh, pull a firearm, okay, and you know, can you give us details? I can, and okay. one not not uh, more than about uh, three or four weeks ago, uh, uptown, lady cut her off, jumped out of the vehicle, and came back to the vehicle. Oh, seriously? Absolutely. And uh, uh, my wife at that point reached in the glove compartment and or the console and then pulled the weapon out and. Uh, Called nine one one while she while she had the gun there and the lady backed off. So, just things can happen so quick. People people just don't realize. So that prevented violence, you know. And I, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the main things people don't realize. You know, I don't know what percentage is, but it's like ninety nine percent of the time, just having the gun, showing the gun, you know, when appropriate, because you don't want to brandish, you don't want to wave a gun around. Absolutely. But, uh, but as long as you're you've drawn in an appropriate self defense situation, you know, most times you're not going to have to shoot. And the the case when when the law enforcement arrived and, and the lady claimed that. Uh, my wife had, had displayed the gun and shown right. it shown it to her. Um, the officer asked her, "How did how did she know? How did she know she had a gun?" Well, the lady said she never approached my wife's car, but yet, okay. how, how could she see that gun, or right. how could she have seen that weapon unless she was standing there next to the window? Yeah, she lied. Yeah, and and so that is a great thing, prevention. But cars, I need to ask you about cars. We're going to take a break here in a little bit, and. Um, and again, I want to invite you to call 623-1330, area code 850-623-1330. In a car, if you leave the gun in the holster, if it's carried, if you're right-handed, it's on your right side, it's jammed into your seat. If you're left hand, it's left side. So this is just practical for me. Would I be better advised when I get in the car, put the car, and the gun in the glove compartment so that I have access to it? Because if it's jammed against a seat, there's no way I'm going to get to it. And until you actually try to pull one sitting in a vehicle, you don't realize how difficult it can be. Uh, oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my, this thing's sticking to my ribs. I'm thinking to myself, I can't do anything with it. But that makes perfect sense. I never and, thought of that. And, and for me, I actually keep an additional v, uh, weapon in the, in the console. Of course you do. So, <laughs> Chuck's great. Chuck, we had, when we had class, 
Chuck has, has an amazing um, display of firearms on the table. So what I really liked about your class was how hands-on it was. I mean, you actually got us to, to touch and, and, and try different kinds of guns, and you could see sizes. You could compare revolvers, semi-automatics. You know, you really got a good feel for larger guns, smaller guns. So it... Uh, Give you a really practical aspect, you know, away from the laws, and I'm, I'm not going to, you know, go into this, move out a little bit, but the whole point is um, those laws are fairly well established. You can look them up, but to have the ability to just get, you know, perception of what I want to do later on, you know, big guns versus small guns, um, you know, one of the practical things I'm thinking of is, is if you're in a gym, you know, you're wearing gym clothes. Is there like a practical small firearm that can be carried? Wow. You know, how's that for, here's your challenge, okay? Uh, and they do make some amazingly small firearms. Because there was a, you know, a gym, I think it was Coral Gables or something, somebody attacked people in a gym not too long ago. Yeah. You know, you don't think about it, but, you know, yeah. So there are small pocket ones. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's something, too. Um, well, let's take a break now, then get back to my, my bank episodes. <laughs> this is some of the, the, the funnier aspects of this, um, is, is, is going to bank while you're carrying a loaded firearm, which is just something that goes against everything we've ever thought and been taught. So we'll take a break. Chuck Bond is on with me. 623-1330 is the phone number. 1330 WEBY, the station. Northwest Florida's talk radio. We'll be back. This is A-Dog, our music director and world's greatest producer. Having fun with the bumper music again. <laughs> Thanks, A-Dog. Yeah, anything appropriate uh, that you can think of, feel free. Uh, 8.20 in the morning here, I have my, my uh, very special guest, uh, Chuck Bonta, who is a, a concealed carry weapons instructor. And let's see, we should probably get a little bit of, of your background, because you mentioned you went to the police academy at 51, which is kind of cool. What else, what else have you done to qualify for this? Well, um, of course, I'm, I'm a local fellow. I've been here for over 50 years. But uh, I work for the local county, for Okaloosa County, as a building and fire inspector. And about 10 years ago, I decided uh, I needed a little change, so I went through the police academy. And there toward the end of the academy, have recruiters come in and, and try to recruit, uh, you know, new officers and so forth. And about that time, I had gotten uh, a promotion at work, so I decided to stay, stay with the county. But uh, Florida Wildlife and, and Game Commission came in. And found out they had a reserve program. Okay. So I applied for that and was accepted and uh, just resigned last April. But I did about eight years as a, as a reserve officer with the Florida Wildlife Commission. So is there an age restriction on that? Is that something I could do? The uh, 21 to, to be an officer. No, I'm talking about like a maximum age Maximum age yeah. and so forth. Of course, you know, it's, it's like most things in life. The, the older you get, you're... you're um, uh, opportunities are a little more limited. Yeah, I've noticed that. So. That, that bums me out. Well, I, I actually, what I want to do is, is Civil Air Patrol. I want to start teaching flying again and do some things like that. That's going to be my contribution. Uh, I have so many t- subjects to talk about here. So let's, let's, let's do the fun one first. Um, when you first start carrying, like you mentioned, you know, do you feel paranoid? I had a little bit of an advantage because I, was used to, I had a bit of a law enforcement ex- experience earlier, and I also did a lot of competitions. Uh, which I want to start up again. So on the range, I was used to carrying a firearm, and and just it's different than uh, at the target range where the gun sits on the the counter in front of you, which is completely unrealistic training. 
has nothing to do with, uh, with, with real life. But competitions are probably as close as most people can get unless they can get some police training. But you're walking around with a holster. You're actively drawing. You know, it's all sanctioned events, but at least you get that draw, aim, fire, clearing, all the, all the normal things that go on. But when you first get out in the world, you know, and this is where the normalization of firearms is so important, and I wish this were like a high school class, but you get out there the first time and you're thinking, are they watching me? Is my gun sticking out the back of my shirt? Is it going to fall out of the holster when I get out of the car? You know, all these things go through your mind. Can you explain the psychology of that a little bit? Yeah. And, and keep in mind that uh, most time when you when you're purchasing a, a new weapon or something, you're picking up that gun when it's empty. It's not loaded. Right. So by the time you add a full magazine to it, that's adding extra weight to it that, that you might not realize. Mm-hmm. So you need to keep that in mind. Quality belt and quality holsters yeah. really really make a difference. So if you're going to go out and spend five or six hundred dollars for for a firearm, don't go out and buy a seven dollar belt to to support that. Yeah. Universal holsters versus holsters specific to the gun. Do you have a recommendation uh, for that? Holster specific. Okay. For, for the most part. Okay. Um, now pocket holsters, most of those are going to be universal because all the gun has to do is is is, okay. is fit inside. But uh, on a belt or small of the back or ankle holster or something, uh, I recommend. Uh, Firearm-specific holster. Okay, let's go over some of these terms here. What would you consider a pocket gun? Pocket gun, small, 380. Uh, there's has been a um, uh, an explosion of these small uh, concealed carry firearms in the last uh, 10 years, so to speak. Okay. 380 has become a super popular caliber, mm-hmm. and so forth. So they're making larger calibers, even even weapons in in nine millimeter are are increasingly smaller and smaller packages. So they have like about a five or six round nine millimeter versus like a a larger amount of twenty two or something like that. Absolutely. Okay. You know, do you have? I don't know if you make recommendations or not, but if you had a choice between uh, like a, say a five round nine millimeter, uh, like a seven round three eighty, and a twelve round twenty two, where would your your logic sort of go for each one? Well, and, and one of the things I cover in class is shot placement is more critical than caliber size. Okay. Because if you, you can have the largest caliber gun available, but if you can't put that round on target, then it's not doing you a whole lot of good. Yeah. So I don't have a problem carrying a smaller caliber gun for defensive purposes okay. because ammunition is so much better now than it was 15 or 20 years ago. There's some there's some amazing ammo out there. That now. much changed? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So I guess the, the recommendation is, is hollow point ammunition for for safety so it doesn't penetrate too far and, and other people. I hate to get you know graphic on this, but that's what we're talking about. Right. So. So, some type of defensive round because those rounds are designed to, to create more damage. Okay. But also to stay, you know, not go through several people. Over penetration. Yeah. Yes. You know, building walls, you know, things like that. And, and generally speaking, in handguns, you're not going to have that issue. It's okay. when you get with rifle, rifle calibers that, that you deal with that. And that's not what we're carrying in our holsters anyway, so that's uh, that's interesting. Okay, um, what do you do if uh, if you're married or have a significant other and you want to carry and your partner is like screaming and yelling, I don't want a gun in the house, but you want to be able to do self-defense for yourself? Do these, what, I'm sure these conflicts come up with people. Uh, I'm sure they do. I have not come, come across that. Uh, yeah. God bless my wife. She's the greatest woman in the world. But uh, uh, when we go, and, and, and she's a concealed carry holder as well, uh-huh. but when we're together, most of the time I'm carrying, and, and she's not. Okay. And yeah. that's just, just personal preference. Do you practice the range together? Uh, most of the time, no. Okay. I did not even instruct my wife to get her concealed carry permit. Okay. Well, actually, that that makes a lot of sense because sometimes, you know, family, it's it's you, you, you sort of you pick on things. That you're not as objective. 
Right. For example, uh, now I taught my daughter to shoot, but uh, I don't know if I really want anybody else with my kid to, you know, do that. Now she's welcome to take lessons anywhere she wants, and, and probably would be a good thing, you know, to do that. Um, do you find people will sometimes get a concealed carry permit, uh, carry for years and years, and never go back to the range, and never practice, and never? you know, sort of keep the skills up. Right, and, and you will lose your skills if you yeah. if you don't practice. It's like most things in life. If you don't use it, you lose it, and, yeah. and, and firearm skills are, uh, you do need to maintain uh, uh, practice. Yeah, that's something I have to do, too. One of the shows uh, that I think is going to be pretty incredible is coming up next Thursday, and because of the, the terrorist act in Manchester, um, I was thinking, you know, what can I do? And so it's just nice that you came on now so we can start about personal protection. But what I want to do is expand that. I have two special agents from the Pensacola Office of the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And, and one of the guys, you know, he's a supervisor. The other one's the chief. And so, I mean, they train SWAT teams. This is super high-level stuff. We're going to talk about, you know, avoid situations and, and see what looks suspicious and just have, you know, a higher level of awareness than a lot of other folks have. Um, because my contention always is if it can happen, it can happen here. You know, don't be delusional and think that it's never going to be there. You know, you're not uh, doing this because you might be that one person, you know, who recognizes, you know, terrorist activity before others. You know, if you're in a, an arena and everybody's walking out and one person's walking in, that's not normal. There's something, there's something strange about that. So that might be a higher level. So we're going to expand this from, uh, from local personal protection up to, you know, anti-terrorist awareness. And so what I was thinking of a program, and I want your opinion on this, uh, it's my citizen monitor program. So the idea is that, that people who have decided to go to the level of concealed carry, if they want to go to a higher level of awareness and participation, would, would go to either federal uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement or county sheriffs. I haven't quite figured out the details yet. But what we do is we get advanced training. We go through background checks, further background checks, and see if we can get you know, more aware. And this might be great for former law enforcement, for you in particular. You know, you're not actively involved in, in a, a law enforcement program, but you might want to be a citizen monitor. And so you get the latest awareness training packages, people, suspicious activity, and more advanced firearms training. And there might be certain levels of this, you know, and where you'd have, uh, you know, direct connections to, you know, bomb squads, SWAT teams, things like that. So you could respond immediately to a situation, call exactly who you needed to call, and, and, you know, carrying a firearm would be able to save lives. So citizen monitor program, what do you think? Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. We're going to get the county folks involved. I'm going to get the law enforcement, the the state involved, and we'll see what we can do with it. But that's that's what Action Radio is all about. That's taking a, an idea, developing it, getting the input, and seeing if we can actually uh, put it in. Yeah. And a, and a lot of that is just situational awareness, being okay. able, you know, seeing what's going on, not being locked into to your little area of the world and so forth. Just um, just keeping your ears and eyes open. Yeah, and that's something we're going to talk about. So do you find concealed carry holders are, are more aware of, of what's going on? They're just looking, you know, not necessarily looking for trouble, but looking, just being more aware, a higher state, because you are carrying a loaded firearm. Absolutely. Okay. And uh, it is very important to kind of be aware of what, what's going on around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me talk about my bank adventures. <laughs> <laughs> this was a weird one. Okay. Um, just, and we're talking about places you can't carry. You can't carry in a post office, right? Cause that's that is a, correct. That's a government building. Okay. Federal building. So federal buildings are out. Courts are out. Schools. Schools. Anything, anything government's out. Uh, commission meetings, all that kind of stuff, right? All that stuff's out. Okay. There's a list. There's an official list. That, there is. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, in, in Oklahoma County, the county commissioners just started to allow the uh, employees to, to carry concealed if they have a concealed carry permit. 
so, so these are government employees who can carry in the government office? Yes. That makes perfect sense. It is, and uh, the job that, that I'm in, uh, building inspecting and fire inspecting, uh-huh. isn't so much an issue. Previously, I was a code enforcement officer with the county and would Ooh. love to have carried at that time because you, you come up on situations where you're approaching people in their environment and on their property. and They're not happy to see you. They are not. Yeah, that's not a good thing. Okay, so, so banks. Now, what I did was I actually called my bank in advance. Uh, I, they didn't have the, the stickers on the on the window, and that's pretty much what you're looking for at first. In other words, if you see posted, you know, no carrying guns in this, this premises, they pretty much you can't do that, right? That is correct. Okay. Uh, so now me and my my self righteous constitutional you know ism would say, okay, fine, you know, if, unless the law says I, I uh, don't have to do it, I'd be probably want to challenge that. But I guess the the idea is to educate businesses so they can transfer over. But if they post, you know, no guns, it's no guns. That is correct. Okay. All right. And that's Florida law. Yes. Okay. Um, so I called my bank and just out of courtesy because and explain, you know, I'm new concealed carrier. What's your policy? And is that going to cause any issues? And they're like, no, you know, it's just, uh, you know, if there's a problem, make sure you get them. <laughs> that was the, I think, Bless you. You know, so, so really yeah. cool folks there at the bank. But uh, is that normal around here that people are pretty, I mean, if I tried that in California, I'd have the SWAT team out the door. You know, they'd, they'd be at my door. You know, before I'd even hung up the phone, the bank would have called. You know, if I'm here, once, you know, anyway. But uh, this is different here. I like it here. Florida's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that advisable to people as a courtesy if you're curious as a new holder to maybe contact businesses that you go to regularly? If, if there's any doubt in your mind, ab- absolutely. Okay. Uh, either either contact the business or, or the place that, that you're, that you're going to visit, uh, and if there's any doubt in your mind, leave it in the vehicle. Yeah, yeah. Now, how safe are guns and vehicles, though? With the as long as you keep your vehicle locked and secured, they're 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 safe. Yeah, okay. uh, a lot of break-ins are involved, and you hear it on TV now where break-ins and one of the things they get are, are firearms that are left in in vehicles. I don't want to have my gun taken from my car. To me, it's not safe unless it's on me, unless it's home and locked up in the safe, uh, or on me. It's not under my control, and if it's in a car and I'm somewhere else, then it's not under my control. So I don't consider that something I want to do. Right, and and that's a personal preference. Okay. Um, I don't ha- I don't have a problem leaving one in the vehicle, okay. uh, not in plain sight, as long as it's secure. Okay. And, um, and and the law requires that it not be readily accessible. So how does so when you're not there in the car, or when you are there in the car, both. So so you can carry. Oh wait a minute. Now concealed carry holders can have a, a loaded gun in a holster, which is readily sort of readily available. But it, but in the glove compartment, it can't be readily available. How does that work? The the Florida requires you uh, if you have a concealed carry permit, okay. you can have it on your person in your vehicle. Right. If you do not have a concealed carry permit, then it cannot be readily accessible. So you can't ride around with it laying on the dash or the right. seat next to you. And and used to you you heard the old three step rule. Okay. Where you had to make three moves to get to the to the weapon. Okay. But that's not what the statute says. It just says it cannot be readily accessible. Now, one officer's interpretation of what readily accessible is may oh, yeah. be different than another. Huh. But the statute says it cannot be readily accessible. Okay. But if you do have a concealed carry permit, then it can be readily accessible. It can be on your person, but you still can't ride around with it laying on the on the seat next to you. Glove compartment, that's okay. And, and it gives you some specifics in a holster in the container, in a glove compartment in a container. Uh, oh, so it has to be in a holster in the glove compartment. Cannot be readily accessible. <laughs> okay. 
This is complicated. Oh, yeah. If you have a story, I mean, please you know, give us a call here because I, I, I know there, there are folks thinking, well, gee, should I call them about this? Don't give your real name. It's okay. You know, we want the information out there. Uh, and I'd rather have, uh, you know, if you have a situation you've encountered, you can help a lot of other people. So 623-1330, area code 850-623-1330. So the, the, the strangest part was when we went to the bank. Um, just the other day, the armored car was there with all the cash. There are armed guards. I'm concealed carrying. I'm thinking to myself, why am I doing this? How did I get myself in this mess? But the more you do it, the more comfortable you get doing it. And you start to feel natural, and you don't feel like everybody's staring at you. And it, it becomes second nature. Uh, I wear a wristwatch. If I walk out the door in the morning without my watch, right. I, I, I realize it. Yeah. And, and carrying concealed is the same way. It just becomes second nature to you. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's getting, well, it's not there yet, but it's getting there. I feel more comfortable. At this point, uh, I'm comfortable going to places that I know, knowing their policy, and, and at some point I'll get comfortable going to places I don't know. But to me, you know, I don't want to be in a situation where I'm going to a place and all of a sudden I discover that I can't carry there, and then I have my gun and have to go back to the car, lock it up, all those kind of things. So that's, that's another issue. And backing up when we were talking about uh, carrying in a vehicle, right. you do not have to have a concealed carry permit to carry in your vehicle. Oh, okay. So okay. as, long, as long as it's not on your person, right. then, then you're allowed to have one in your vehicle. Okay. And you have to have your carry permit with you when you're carrying, too. Yes, okay. absolutely. Got it. All right, I think we should take a little break here, 835. Uh, give us a call, 850-623-1330, 623-1330 with my, my CCW instructor, Chuck Bonta. We'll be right back. Ed Nugent, strong Second Amendment advocate. We should get Nuge on the line. You want to do that someday? Hey, Doug, what do you think? Whoa, yeah. Let's do it. If I can get Ted Nugent, you'd be happy? Oh, yeah. He'd do it. He hasn't heard of me yet, but he will. Yeah, anyway, so I'm with Chuck Bonta, who's a concealed carry weapons instructor, was my instructor, taught such a great class, I had to have him on the air here now. So let's, let's take a couple of minutes. Uh, let's get some, well... However long it takes. Let's get some contact information for you, for, I guess, gun shows, classes coming up, anything you want to, uh, websites, anything you want to give people to get in touch with you. Okay. Probably the, the best contact information will be uh, email, and my e- email will be chucker5, that's C-H-U-C-K-E-R, and the number 5, at cox.net. So that's chucker5 at cox.net, or you can reach me by phone at 850-682-4387. To get that number one more time. 850-682-4387. You know, nobody ever writes it down the first time. Yeah. Of course, you're giving your number out now. You're going to get calls from everywhere. They're going to wake you up and turn the phone off at night. But, uh, yeah. So how did you get to, to start teaching? When I went through the law enforcement academy, it mm-hmm. kind of picked an interest in me. And I and, uh, had some friends that were conducting or uh, hosting an NRA class and invited me to, to go and went through it and um, I sat on that probably for about a year or two before I started actually okay. uh, teaching and then, then got into it. Uh, first four or five years been extremely busy. Probably in the last four or five years, uh, 70 to 75% of the classes have been women. Tell me about that. With, with women and guns, what's, just, what's going on? Just been a, been a, a, you know, women are a lot more aware now okay. of, uh, of personal defense and, and self-defense, and a lot of the gun manufacturers are catering to, to women. You're starting to see these firearms in different styles, different okay. colors, and so forth. What, what would be different? What, what would help a woman more than, than a man? What, what is, like, difference, I guess, physical differences? 
Probably, probably that, that would be the biggest thing, uh, especially for beginning and novice shooters. And that's what my course is geared to is, okay. is, is toward beginning and novice shooters. So the less mechanical things you have going on with the gun, the less things you have to do. So okay. generally speaking, new shooters are, are drawn toward revolvers. Okay. And this would apply to anybody, men or women. Correct. Yeah. So, but revolvers—they're bulkier because you got that round cylinder. You do, but but they are making these the smaller, uh, smaller revolvers. Okay. And keep in mind that the smaller the gun, especially mm-hmm. in semi-automatics, the less surface area you have to grab onto. Oh, so yeah. a lot of times, some of these smaller guns are even more difficult to to pull a slide on. Uh, personally, I like a semi-automatic without a without a safety for a defensive gun, okay. because in a situation where your adrenaline's pumping, one of the first things to go are your fine motor skills, and, that, and that's use of your fingertips and so forth. Right. So if you're not um, disciplined in how to you know take a safety off and, and so forth, it, it could become an issue. Yeah. So, but a lot of the guns like uh, like Glocks and I think uh, some of the Smith and Wesson law enforcement models. They have the the trigger trigger safety. bar safety. So there are safeties built in. You yes. know, if you don't have a, so I guess what you really want to distinguish is the manual safety from internal safety. Right. And, and keep in mind the uh, the the Glocks that is, that's a, an actually a drop safety. Okay. So in case the the firearms drop, there's no no uh, chance of it. Uh, firing because that trigger bar has to actually be pulled before before it releases the striker. Okay. Let's talk about um, um, chamber loaded versus unchamber loaded. So I want to just give me the pros and cons on each one. What we're talking about here is whether uh, in a semi-automatic pistol there's a round in the chamber, which means it's ready to fire as soon as you pull the trigger, or if you want to keep the chamber empty and just the rounds in the magazine, you actually have to rack the slide. Uh, and then so, so pros and cons on both of those. That question usually comes up in class. I recommend keep around in the chamber. Okay. Um, you never know in a situation where you you may have to defend someone off with one hand, or that right. hand is somebody's holding on to it, and you only have one. Or nine one one, you're dialing with one hand. Absolutely, with, with a phone. Yeah. And uh, if you've ever tried to rack a slide with one hand, it's 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 a difficult process. Yeah, especially when your fine motor skills are disappearing because the adrenaline's pumping, right? Absolutely. So all these things tie. So you really you really want to go over this ahead of time, don't you? And, and practice your scenario. And and the more you read and, and research and so forth, it'll okay. it'll make you aware. Yeah. I think of uh, the training. Now, to me, the training uh, was good, but um, I would, if I were designing the system, would probably have it a little more intensive. Uh, actually go to the range, have some practical uh, applications where you have your, your real holster that you're going to use, give you a chance to use it with instructors. I mean, I would like to see a higher level, but private lessons are available, right? Absolutely. Okay. Do you know of any courses around here? Usually at the gun shows, they'll have, they'll have um, uh, uh, instructors there. And most of the gun shops will have somebody that that uh, they're uh, aware of that that do private lessons, and you're talking about one-on-one training, right. correct? Yeah. yeah. So there are um, instructors available. Okay. You have a gun show coming up, don't you? Well, that we have one in Milton, July the first and second there at the um, the Civic Center, and we'll have a class one on Saturday and one on Sunday. Okay. What time's the class? Classes will be at 1 o'clock. Okay. So people can sign up for that in advance anytime now? They can sign up in advance okay. or they can show up the day of the class. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the class. You had people with just a huge uh, difference in, in, in firearms experience. Some people had almost looked like they'd never shot before. And they had, you know, like I have an advantage because I've done a bunch of competitions and things like that. So how do you make a class for everybody? I guess you can't. And, and keep in mind, my, my class is geared uh, again for the for the beginning and novice shooter. Right. So if um, you know if you are an experienced um, enthusiast, 
that uh, you can still learn stuff, uh, may, may be, use it as a refresher course. Interesting. Yeah, I wanted to uh, uh, talk about that in a little bit. Looks like we have a call coming in. Uh, so what I'll probably do is take a break in just a little bit here and then get to our call because that way we, we can give our caller more time. some guns and roses or something like that, but uh, that would have been kind of cool. 848 in the morning here. My guest, Chuck Vaughn, a CCW, Concealed Carry Weapons Instructor. Let's get to Brad and your question. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, hey, uh, good co- good topic this morning. One of the uh, problems we have is concealed is, uh, like you mentioned just before the break, was, uh, you know, what kind of clothing and which where to wear the gun, you know, was it an inside the belt or outside the belt or an ankle holster? Great question. You know, everybody has a problem with, with comfort, and uh, you had mentioned about different types of clothing in this warm climate of Florida. It's always an issue, uh, you know, especially in the summer, so you don't print, you know, your gun bulging and that sort of thing. Maybe you could expound on that, maybe as some ideas. Great. Thanks, Brad. A lot of times I will uh, wear cargo shorts, baggy pants, and, and so forth. Um, I like carrying in a, with a pocket holster. Um, I certainly have some inside-the-waist and outside-the-waist holsters, but that's, those are pocket holsters are a lot more convenient. So when you're in the vehicle, you get out unless uh, unless you come or are prepared for carrying with a, with a belt holster or something like that. Pocket holsters are a lot more convenient. And may be easier, and we all know that uh, guns not doing you any good unless you have it on you. Yeah, oh yeah. So let's talk about that. Uh, what kind of you have? You've heard the small of the back, you know, four or five o'clock carry. What does all this stuff mean? Well, and and there's just so many different ways to to carry small of the back or holsters that are designed to be worn uh, in the smaller of your back, so you can reach reach behind you. Those are easier to conceal. They're not as comfortable if you're going to be sitting for a while. Yeah, you sit in the car with some gun stuck in your very back, back, you know, on your spine. That doesn't sound comfortable. I know. Uh, ankle holsters are, are mm-hmm. great for. Um, uh, you know, for if you wear long pants and so forth. Okay. But do you have the opportunity uh, because there is a technique involved bending down, pulling your pant leg up, and you know, oh, that's conspicuous. Uh, <laughs> so again, there's just so many variations. Yeah. Typically at gun shows, we have we have uh, a lot of times guys will come in and say, I want to buy a gun for my wife or girlfriend. How do you buy one for somebody else? You can't do and, that. And, and and you can. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I've been married over. 37 years, and oh, good for you. I have yet to go out and buy my wife a pair of shoes unless she says, I want that pair and that color and that size. And, and firearms are the same way. Yeah. I recommend the best, the best, best, some of the best advice I can give you is uh, whatever you decide to purchase is, is go out and handle as many as you can and yeah. find out what, what fits best for you. One of the things I've, I've faulted the gun industry for, and the, I guess the Shooting Sports Association, is that they don't have classes for people where... You can go to a gun range and say you want to buy particular model of Glock or Sig or, or any of those kinds of guns. Um, you should be able to to rent one, try it out, and then get what I would call like a certificate of accomplishment, where you, you've shown proficiency in that particular firearm, and then you can take that to the gun store and say, Hey, look, you know, I I, I know this. I, I you know, I've gotten a higher level, you know, and I wish the guns you know companies would offer like lessons with their with their purchases because we send people out to gun stores, they don't know. You know, they don't know what, you know, if you're a first time, you know, you want to be a first time shooter 
and you've never handled a gun, and you're sitting, you get this maze of guns in front of you. It's intimidating. It, you can, know? it can be overwhelming when you, when you see all these firearms. Yeah. And, and unless you go to a, you know a friendly place, and most places are, are are pretty good, but every once in a while, you know, I think for, you know, especially women might be more intimidated. A bunch of guys talking guns, and the, they know every last caliber and barrel length, and you know, less details like, you know, sports talk. Um, but it, it's a thing. I wish they would just either offer a lesson. If you, in other words, new gun owners should have like a new gun lesson. So in other words, you, you, you buy whatever model you want, and then within that purchase built in is a lesson with an instructor for an hour so you can get proficient with it. I think that would be a huge benefit uh, to everybody, and I don't see that happening. Uh, me either. Yeah, yeah, that's a problem. Okay. Anyway, Brad had a great question. So I'm trying to think of other things that, that Brad was asking about. Um, so we've got we got belt carries. We've got uh, we mentioned the tactical clothing, ankle holsters. If we, if we covered them all, well, <laughs> Miami style, which are the the holsters under your arm. Oh yeah, Miami Vice. Miami, yeah, yeah. Miami do those style. work? Shoulder holsters? They do. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm like swapping around. More so. Well. Um, more so in, in colder climates where you have jackets and, and coats. Right. So, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood with the, the, the 44 Magnum and the, like the side holster. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that's a little tough to do here. Oh. Yeah. So how does, how does somebody, you know, pick different categories? You know, I guess they have to figure, you know, the right gun for them. You've got the smaller ones. But smaller ones are harder to shoot. They are, uh, they, they take a little more practice because... Okay. Um, Full-size heavy gun, you go out to the range comfortable to shoot. But right. You get some of these small frame polymer guns mm-hmm. can be, can be a challenge to keep on the target, and they're they're less comfortable to shoot. The smaller the gun, the less surface area, so you actually have more force on your hand. More recoil, yeah. And when you go out to range and, and just uh, a little small uh, polymer frame 380 is not as comfortable to shoot as an all steel 9mm gun. Yeah, but the 9mm is going to be heavier, so you've got to have appropriate clothing. Like you say, the right holster, the right belt, you know, all these things. And this is like an entire system you have to work out. And, and it does take a while to work it out. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I, I still modify mine. My, my system. You're trying new things? Different. Absolutely. So you, do you have different guns for different circumstances? Uh, I do have different guns. For, and, you don't have to go into details. I don't want to give any away trade secrets, <laughs> but I'm just thinking. You know, do, I, I'm thinking to myself, well, what am I going to do if? You know? Right. And, uh, you know, if I were in, in a colder climate, heavier clothes, layered clothing, right. then, then I might not go with a small small caliber, you know, defensive gun, okay. uh, because clothes can can uh, inhibit how a, how a round reacts with it. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you recommend people um, practice, you know, unloaded guns, you know, loading and unloading that holster, drawing and like pointing at a place on your wall or something like that just to get used to doing uh, it? Number one, I'll always practice gun safety, but, okay. but yes, the, the more you practice, the more comfortable you become with it. Uh, uh, the better you'll become, or the more proficient you'll become, and by all means, you need to need to practice at, uh, at regular intervals. Yeah, I was thinking about this before the show. I always think of the CCW now as kind of like the learner's permit. So it's the beginning. It's the start of a process to become really knowledgeable, proficient, and that's why I was thinking of the Citizen Monitor program, where people can get more and more, you know, advanced. Uh, knowledge as they go. Do you, do you think competitions are, are a good practice, or is that a separate skill? I think it's a separate skill. I I, I don't shoot competition, okay. uh, so I'm not as familiar with that. Hmm. We only have a couple minutes left here. So, any any uh, topics that I haven't covered that you want to uh, bring up at this time? By all means, 
practice gun safety. Okay. Uh, children, Let's talk about the rules of gun safety. Why don't we go over those? Yeah. Uh, three things is, number one, always, always keep the gun pointed in a safe direction. Okay. Number two, always keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to shoot. And then number three, keep your gun unloaded until you're ready to use it. Also, keep in mind that if you have children in the house, you have a tremendous access to those guns. Right. So they, they need to be locked up. So if you want to protect your family and have access to your gun, do you find people carrying in the home? Yes. Okay. Uh, like I, Friday I, night, maybe, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a warm night, people are drinking out there, crazy things going um, on. But, yeah. but again, safety is, is yeah. of the utmost importance. Uh, when um, my daughter and grandkids stayed with us for a while, I never had a loaded gun in the house. Right. It's, it's just not worth it. Okay, yeah. So, you, you know, lock everything up. So I think the, the, probably some of the, the problem scenarios are when kids will find a gun in a closet or, you know, because people want the gun accessible in an emergency, but, but you know, you're, you're far greater risk of, of having, a, you know, a tragedy occur, and so you have to weigh that as well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, again, protect those children. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, there are laws about that in, Cal- in Florida. There are, and, and they are very specific. Specific that you have to have to uh, secure those guns if you have ki- children in the house. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, because you hear there was a tragedy not too long ago. Uh, there was a problem, uh, and so yeah, yeah, that's just a a big thing. But yeah, it's like anything else. You know, you got to practice. You've got to get uh, further training. I'm going to see. I'm gonna, I'd love to get like some of the executives of some of the gun companies on here and say, guys, let's get some training programs with your your firearm purchases. Do you recommend people rent uh, a gun before they buy it? Especially uh, beginning and novice shooters. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, there are some ranges that that do offer. Uh, uh, rent, rent guns and so forth, but it'll give you a general idea. Okay. You can read online, you can read books and, and so forth, but until you actually fire one, it gives you the, the, the true experience. Yeah, because you don't know, you know, and, and some people they may buy a gun thinking, oh, I got this really wonderful, it's a compact 357 Magnum revolver. It's got a short barrel, it's a little five shot. This is going to be perfect. It's small, it's compact, and they never fire it until they get to the range, and all of a sudden, this thing's like blowing up, you know, huge amounts of smoke and stuff. And Tremendous recoil in, in a small. Yeah. Frame 357. Yeah. Yes. So you learn that you can carry a 38 and a 357. If you want to give your contact information again, we've got about uh, 15 seconds left. Sure. One more time. Chuck Bonner. Uh, email address is chucker5 at cox.net. Phone number 
We need something dramatic here. We need uh, uh, – in fact, I'm going to give you the guest of the day uh, drum roll. Now, hold on, hold on. This is going to be fun. I don't think I've done this for you yet, so uh, here we go. And now, breaking news from Diane Warner. Okay. Yes, this is Future of Action Radio. We have breaking news. I'm improvising this right now. I could have a traditional news theme, but this is a lot more fun. So the one and only Diane Warner is going to present us with, you guessed it, breaking news. <laughs> so much fun. I'm going to tell you, but that's okay. Yeah, okay. So let's, uh, let's, what, else, what else can I do for you here? I can get you my, my round of applause. Here we go. And now our breaking news round of applause. So what happens when you let me this with audio clips. All right, go ahead. Your turn. <laughs> What's breaking? <laughs> wow. <laughs> we, our team is in Tallahassee, and uh, they've passed the recall. is has gotten passed for the second time in the House. We're thrilled. Really? Now, recall, okay. recall is uh, to be able to recall our, uh, any local officials. I think it's like uh, county commissioners especially. So okay. um, if, they, if they are corrupt. So, but it actually does have to what go do you mean to if? the vote. So it has to go. <laughs> Did you if say you if? Get, if, you, if? If recalls pass and if you recall someone uh, for being corrupt, it still has to go up for a vote. So we still have to have good election machines. I mean, we have to get rid of the election machines before recall actually work. But it's okay. a real good step. So we're thrilled that it did pass the House, and they do have a sponsor for the Senate. So I just that's found that good. out, like, I don't know, a couple minutes ago. So that's Recall excited. Florida? That's, that's, their, that's, that's a big bill, right? Yeah. Recall Florida? Okay. That sounds yes. good. All right. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, we should give them a round of applause. Too. Oh, I know who my mystery guest is. I'll bring her on in just a second. Uh, this is the beauty of having everybody's phone number <laughs> that ever called the show. So I know uh-huh. who that's uh-huh. so, so this is for the recall bill. Thank you, legislature. <laughs> nice job. So that's wonderful breaking news. Let me get my guest right now, uh, or actually my regular caller, previous guest, uh, Sally Saxon, attorney extraordinaire, author of COVID-19, what the medical, uh, the pharmaceutical companies, pharmaceutical companies didn't tell you. See what happens when I talk fast? I totally screw this up. What's on your mind, Sally? Welcome. Hey, <laughs> good morning. Thanks so much. Uh, morning, Sally. Diane. Yeah. Um, well, I'm uh, recovering from some oral surgery, but we're good. Oh, we're good. calling a talk show. Is that is that part of your recovery? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Exercise yeah. and draw. <laughs> that, good there plan. You go. <laughs> okay. Did you have uh, a specific story you just want to join us generally, or, or are you a guest that I forgot to schedule, or, or what's what's going on, Sally? Or are you just joining us? Just uh, just no, because? I scheduled it. Oh, you did? What? you got to tell yes. me. <laughs> Did you tell I me? I did. You did? Yes, I did. Okay. Well, uh-huh. good thing you, well, I don't have it on my calendar, which means I screwed up. Okay. At least I know where the screw up is. Let's get Pianchi in here, too. We'll get, we'll get the whole whole uh, uh, panel discussion. Good morning, Pianchi. How are you, sir? Don Steinhardt, oh. how's the my, uh, gang? <laughs> well, apparently the gang's all here. It's more gang than I expected because I, I screwed up. Now I've got to find out where you told Did you, like, email me or something? I, mean, I know this is live radio, and... Obviously, I'm making a permanent record of my screw-up, but I'm just curious. <laughs> no, we were – I don't know if it was either on message or text. 
Okay. All right. Uh, always remind me the night before, <laughs> just to let you know, because I, I have a very short attention span being ADHD. And if, uh, if it's not registered in my brain, then uh, I'm glad you called in, Sally. I'm glad I had your number. All right. Um, Dan, let me just turn it over to you and, and uh, take over. Have fun. Tell us about the report. Any more breaking news? Uh, and uh, feel free, Sally, you join in, too. And I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll ask some pithy, witty, impossible question uh, at some point uh, as we go. <laughs> Dan? Okay. Good morning, Sally. I, I wanted Good to know, morning. I need to send you, we have our newsletter out, and I wrote up an article, and I put your book in it, So, and it went out. We've got a, um, an audience of about probably 2,000 people now for our newsletter for CORE, so, um, oh. at, but your picture's in it for the book and the write-up and some things that, that Dr. Big Mium has been talking about, so um, some help for people who have been vaccinated. So, um, yes. Yeah. Well, so, thank you so much. Absolutely. Let's get the website address so people can find the uh, the group. Is it, they're on Facebook, right? Um, well, it, I'll put it, it on my group. Action Radio Election Integrity. It's it's core. It's a private group. It's a Citizens okay. Organized to Restore Ethics. But you okay. can apply to join it on Facebook. It's core, C-O-R-E. Okay. So and they're the Action Radio Election Integrity. Right, go ahead. Integrity. My uh, Facebook is Action Radio Election Integrity Project on Facebook. And okay. you're welcome to, to join us on there. Mm-hmm. And Sally, what would you like to talk about this morning? Did you have anything specific? Oh, well, you know, these issues uh, concerning uh, the COVID shots, you can talk about uh, all day long and still only make it dent in the, the different issues. And uh, But it, it appears that more and more people are beginning to wake up and there's being uh, more action taken at the local level in some places. And um, so that's all, all very good. But, you know, there's uh, certain things that I think um, a lot of people, you know, need to be aware of. Uh, and I know some of the, your listeners probably are already uh, very awake about, you know, these subjects. Um, what I found, uh, though, in this book, um, the official title of our, our book is The COVID-19 Vaccines and Beyond, What the Medical Industrial Complex is Not Telling Us. And uh, I had two contributing authors on this book, um, Dr. Deborah Viglione, who's been on your show, uh, and Dr. James Thorpe, uh, who who's also been some on of your show. Listeners. He's been on Yeah, too. okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and and uh, he appears, he's interviewed a lot on different programs uh, in the independent media, you know, talking about his specialty, uh, which is uh, the impact of the COVID vaccines on uh, pregnant women and um, their babies. And uh, he's an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist. So uh, he... He's done extensive research, and he's kind of the go-to guy uh, when it comes to the data, you know, concerning those issues. And it's, He's amazing, um, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's really sad, the, um, you know, the impact that the, the, the COVID shots have had, pregnancy and uh, infertility, creating infertility and, you know, problems with the, the babies and... Uh, that he's he's the expert on that, and and then uh, Dr. Deb brings a lot to the table as well, 
um, when we did this recent event uh, about an awakening and healing experience, uh, Dr. for both vaxxed and unvaxxed, you know, Dr. Deb spoke about uh, the different mechanisms of injury, like how how the uh, the shots actually affect the body, what they're doing, you know, inside the body, and then some different uh, protocols and treatments that uh, various um, healthcare providers have used, including herself, that have been uh, effective for uh, dealing with various kinds of symptoms and conditions. But, you know, one of the the things is that whether a person is vaxxed or unvaxxed, uh, we all need to uh, be concerned because um, we are all affected by the shots uh, one way or another, and partly that's due to the phenomena uh, known as shedding or transmission, uh, which is there's something being shed, whether it's a spike protein or something else you know, that's in the shots. And the, the professionals aren't quite sure yet, but uh, something is being transmitted uh, from those who've had the shots, you know, to those who haven't had the shots. Uh, and not in every case necessarily, but we just don't know. There's there's a lot we don't know, uh, but increasingly there is more that we do know. And uh, fortunately, a lot of people continue to do a lot of research on uh, the effects of the shots themselves, as well as how, as what went on behind the scenes, how we got to be in this situation we're in, where so many people have died and so many people have been seriously injured, you know, by these uh, these shots. So, um, yeah, there's an endless uh, uh, an endless conversation that could go on concerning these things. Uh, did, you, Can I, um, did you have any? Yeah. Actually, oh, I have yeah. a question. Uh, several, actually. <laughs> There's something I reported on. It's funny you should say that. I was doing about the, the latest Clinton death uh, list person, uh, Dana Hyde, who died of turbulence <laughs> in an airplane. And one of the things I found, I was doing quick research, and while I was doing that report earlier this show, a uh, report from Kevin Stillwagon, who also has been on the show. In fact, I'll stop saying that when everybody's been on the show. Um, but he reported <laughs> about well, – I'll get there, okay? We're, I'm on my way. Hey, we've had Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough. We've had some pretty amazing people on the show. Anyway, uh, like you guys. So what happened was apparently an airliner in Australia flying from Adelaide to Perth, which is like New Orleans to San Francisco here, about the same distance. But there's nothing there. That's all desert between Adelaide and Perth and Australia. Mm. Apparently, the, the co-pilot had a heart attack about 30 minutes out, and then they uh, mm. turned around and went back to Adelaide because there's nothing there, uh, made an emergency landing. But it was interesting. It took 70 minutes to land after that. So it only took half an hour to fly out, and they spent like two hours, another hour and 10 minutes uh, you know, going back to landing. I'm not sure the status of, of the co-pilot, but uh, this is why, you know, and Diane and I have talked about this. If, you're, if you have any flight experience uh, and you go on an airliner, tell the cabin crew. You know, say, look, I was a previous flight instructor, but, you know, I, I could fly a 737 in an emergency. You bet I could. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. it's still an airplane. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so I would let, I'm going to let them know when I start traveling to all the conferences I, I, I'm going to be invited to. Um, that's, the, that's the first thing. Is, uh, so let's talk about airline safety just for a little bit. Um, from when your book has come out, do you have new information, any new stats, uh, anything regarding the airline uh, industry, especially since there's a complete incompetent 
uh, who's uh, the Democrats uh, and Brandon has put forward as part of what I call the uh, what's the DEI, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, I've, I've changed inclusion to idiocracy. So the current candidate for the uh, <laughs> diversity, uh, equity, and uh, idiocracy is an FAA guy with absolutely no experience with airplanes. <laughs> okay, so this this does not bode well. Yeah. You know, for those of us who want to travel by airline, uh, Sally and then Diane and then even Pianchi, too. Same question. Anything new on airline safety, uh, especially since we just had a report this morning of a co-pilot with a heart attack, which caused the airplane to have to turn around. Sally, we'll start there and Diane then. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, I'd like to say not just about that point, but about, you know, everything related to the shots is uh, do not fear. You know, people cannot live in fear and make decisions based on fear uh, because it's going to lead to a lot of bad consequences and it, it's very bad for your physical health as well as, you know, emotional health and, and relationships and everything else. And, and the reason I say do not fear, uh, despite what you hear in the major media, because they're trying to generate more and more fear, uh, is because <clears throat> we have an incredible creator God for whom nothing is impossible. And um, one of the things maybe we can talk about a little bit after we address this issue about the, the pilots is how uh, what's going on right now with all things COVID is really a spiritual war at root. And everybody has to choose a side. Uh, there's no fence to sit on in this war. And if a person doesn't make a decision, then by default, they're enabling and empowering, you know, the, the side that is, uh, has been pushing these vaccines. Uh, but so I want to encourage people, there is a way to break free from fear and not to live in fear. Even this whole time, I haven't had any fear because, you know, God is able to set people's hearts free from that. And, and bring peace even in the midst of chaos and storms swirling all around them. So I want to say that. Uh, and <clears throat> But back to the, the pilot issue, yeah, we, we do address that somewhat in the book um, uh, because it is an issue not, well, for, not just for people who are flying and the pilots themselves, but, you know, the, there's a huge potential ripple effect if, we see more and more pilots uh, being affected, you know, by this. Um, And as you know, um, well, (laughs) the airline industry does not like to publish, you know, the, the, the statistics on, you know, these kinds of problems. And you only hear it through, you know, through the grapevine, through, you know, pilots themselves. And uh, so, I mean, this is a real concern. Uh, and uh, so one thing that I that I was encouraged uh, to hear about was um, several weeks ago, um, Josh Yoder, who was uh, the uh, the head of uh, one of the Freedom Flyers, of, like, Freedom Flyers, but yeah, and he's been on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sorry. yeah. So yeah, right, we had so, him. Yeah, so he's he's great. We cite him in the book. Uh, and he had uh, a group of pilots meet in Jacksonville, I think it was, uh, several weeks ago, and they uh, did um, a certain kind of test 
on all the pilots who, who came. It's called the multifunctional uh, cardiogram, which is a relatively new test that apparently can detect signs of heart damage uh, much earlier than a lot of these other tests that are out there that are being used. And it's, you know, it's it's a relatively, you know, low cost compared to cardiac MRI and some other things. But being able to detect that heart damage uh, at, you know, a very early stage so people can really know what is the con- true condition of their heart, which is especially important for pilots, you know, is a really important thing. And um, actually, I'm going to have that test my, uh, in the relatively near future because I want to see how it works and find out what the condition of my heart is <laughs> as well. And because I want to get back into long distance running, and so obviously the heart uh, is a is a key issue there. Uh, so um, hopefully, you know, a lot more pilots will be able to have a test like that, so they can see what their actual condition is, and not feel pressured into flying if they're not uh, actually uh, in the condition that they should be in. And I think you know. Uh, that recently, uh, this was several weeks ago, I think, when the FAA reduced its standards, they changed their standards for uh, the pilots on uh, some test. I forget the name of the test. Um, maybe you know. Uh, it was a heart test. Relaxed. I know that, but they, they lowered yeah. it. To, they, they, they made the, the range of what was acceptable a whole lot wider. It used to be a much more specific, right. much narrower test that uh, that you could qualify for. And what's really scary is that the airlines are still jabbing, and they're still requiring the COVID shot for their their younger and their new hires. They're being idiots about this. It's totally insane. But it is yeah. it's in the standards. It, yeah, it's like anything to keep the COVID shot going, uh, even at the expense of uh, of the flying public. And again, with this new FAA person that they want to put in, he's not going to do anything about this. It's it's, it's ridiculous what's happening. And it's preventable too. That's the other scary part. It's all preventable. Well, the FAA exactly blocked everybody, and Steve Kirsch has been trying to get them to, you know, admit anything, and he's really been pushing some hot buttons over at the FAA. Mm -hmm. He's getting nothing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think here's – this is just one more um, issue on which your listeners, your audience – can take some action if they want to. Uh, I think Steve Kirsch had a – uh, a campaign going uh, recently, it may still be going, I'm not sure, uh, uh, to uh, contact the FAA and, um, you know, express certain, you know, concerns about this. So uh, but He had a flyer again, out, too, that he wanted people to walk into the airport and hand it to yeah. people, to, to pilots and to um, any, you know, flight attendants and anybody that does call him and I mean, he's offered up all kinds of money to, for anybody to prove him wrong. And I don't know. One guy took him up on it. I never heard of the results of that. So, mm-hmm. Well, he if he proved him wrong, we would have heard about it. <laughs> we would have heard of him yeah. wrong. Yeah. 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 True. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. I don't yeah. know that they've even gotten good. together for him to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I hear you? Uh, it's, so important. it's so important for people not to, to live in fear and base uh, their decisions on how to live based on fear uh, because the fear can be overcome plus the power of prayer. Uh, 
one of my pastors the other day actually gave a, a uh, an example of um, how uh, her her prayers and intercession concerning a flight uh, prevented uh, a, a disaster from happening, and um, it, it was quite an amazing story. But just to um, a prayer works. God is real. God is alive. Uh, he can help us overcome fear about anything, whether it's fear of flying or uh, fear of anything else that might happen as a result of um, what we've been put through the last few years. Mm. I got a different question, but I want to go back to Diane first and, and see if I'm sure she has more. So Diane. Well, it, I would love to throw in here as a nurse uh, for 43 years. Um, we've heard from a lot of professionals of ways that, that, you know, we can get some help. Um, if you have, I think a lot of the biggest worry is those really hard clots, the fibrous white clots. Yeah, and, I want to go over um, that. Too. That's, doctors, that's a really good point. Yeah. Vaccine Dr. recovery. Dr. Viglione said that, she, that exactly. Um, and Dr. Viglione, she's become a really good friend of mine, and she recommends, uh, well, they've had, let me just say this, they've had really good luck with two different drugs, Nata, N-A-T-T-O-K-I-N-A-S-A-A-S-E, excuse me, that's N-A-T-T-O-K-I-N-A-S-E, and Lubrokinase, L-U-M-B-R-O-K-I-N-A-S-E. These are over-the-counter, actually, drugs that are breaking up these, helping to dissolve these clots, these hard fibrous clots. Um, I know aspirin isn't touching them, they said. And um, the aspirin might be able to, if you're having a heart attack, it might be able to help you get to get some help if you chew it up and put it underneath your tongue. But, um, and, you know, talk to your doctor. Uh, talk to your medical professional about these two medications, see if they do right what for they, you. Um, what are they from? They've got the same root, uh, kinase. So they're, they're obviously related somehow, natokinase and lubrokinase. I've looked these up because I'm curious. You know, I have friends that are vaccine injured, and I'd love to get them the information on this, especially if it's over the counter, you know, for now. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But, uh, Diane, do you know where they come from? Or, or Sally, where, where are these drugs, the origins? And, and kinase, that's a particular thing. What is a kinase? It's a that's, natural that's... enzyme. Okay. It says, um, let me see, I'm reading it. Because um, okay. I've heard that part of it before. This is from Sloan Kettering. Oh, and now they want a disclaimer. I'm popping it up now. <laughs> of course they have a disclaimer. It's a medical place. <laughs> uh, it says, it may help clot formation and reduce blood pressure. has not been tested as a cancer treatment. This one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an enzyme. It's purified from a Japanese food. Uh, it Sushi? is by fermentation. I'm kidding. I didn't know you were. I didn't know we were going to ask this one, so I'm like looking at it. I did find a you really never, good. Uh, Diane, you never know what I'm going to ask. I know. That's the whole point of being here. You never know. <laughs> Have your computer Anti-inflammatory handy. and fibrin-degrading act. There we go. Ooh. Top 10 benefits of natokinase. Okay. It prevents and dissolves so, blood clots, helps promote healthy circulation, and normalizes blood pressure. <sighs> so um, I know that if you're on like a blood center that they are saying that lubricinase might be better for you. But, you know, speak to your medical professional because I can't give you medical advice personally. But um, I can only tell you what other people have had good luck with. So, um 
I know that if you're having a heart attack, know the signs and symptoms of a heart attack. Know the signs and symptoms of blood clot. No. Well, um, let's let's give some. You, everybody what, what are around the you needs. I, <laughs> you know, I was going to ask. Okay, I have I have my written. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you can have chest pain, like someone's sitting on your chest, um, mm-hmm. and you can have sweats. You can have, um, it's what they call it angina, heart, you can have heartburn, uh, pain, like throbbing in your arms. Um, and blood clots can be like, um, you have swelling in one limb, like one leg and not the other leg. And then you can have red streaking from that. Um, you need to get to see a medical professional. If you're feeling like you're having a heart attack, call 911. Um, an aspirin might help. Chewing it up, if you put it underneath your tongue, it absorbs quicker uh, than, if, than if you swallow it. And that's a, a, a whole aspirin. Now, Peter McCullough, when he was on our show, he and, and I've also watched other videos from him, he recommends, he, a lot of people are saying, well, I had my shots, you know, a year and a half ago and nothing's happened. I'm perfectly fine. Yeah. And he's like, well, <laughs> he goes, he goes, you probably are. He goes, unless you get COVID. And he said, and if you get COVID, then he recommends that you take a full aspirin, 325 milligrams daily for 90 days to prevent wow. the blood clot. But, um, so that's, you know, he worries about if you get COVID after you've had any of these shots. Any of the vaccines. That's well, that's the that's the the binary so, nature, and I asked Sally about this too. The, the, these things are because Alex Jones reported this several years ago, and we weren't quite sure what he was talking about. He said there's a binary weapon coming out. So one part's a virus, and the other part's a vaccine. And this is like two years before COVID, uh, so he already knew. He was already onto the plan. And so these work together. So this is actually for both of you, Diane and Sally. Um, the, uh, a binary weapon, like a binary chemical weapon, you get two inert chemicals that don't do anything by themselves. You put them together, they're lethal. And it seems to me that this bioweapon is exactly the same way, that the, the vaccine component and the virus component are designed to work together as a binary bioweapon. Have you guys looked into that at all? Uh, I haven't no. really pursued that angle. You know, there's so many rabbit trails <laughs> to go down. Joy, I didn't say this was uh, easy. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, it, you know, what, well, what I tried to do in, in, in the book was, to, and being a former attorney, retired attorney, mm-hmm. you know, I, I look at evidence. So I was trying to uh, put together, compile uh, a, an overview of evidence on a whole lot of different issues, key issues, mm-hmm. um, because and they paint a very different picture than what we've been told, which is why the subtitle of the book is what the medical industrial complex is not telling us. Uh, there's so much. And there are so many um, rabbit trails to go down. So I haven't gone down that particular one, but it's it's interesting to note how there are some people now who uh, are really un- going deep into the uh, contracts uh, concerning the vaccine and related things and the origins, and uh, it's beginning to reveal some very interesting, you know, things. You, you can say Department uh, of Defense and CIA on the show here. It's okay. We're all acquainted with them, and uh, I'm sure they're acquainted <laughs> with us. So, you know. 
We've already the FBI, had three professionals. You know, we've yeah, already had yes. three three experts on COVID that have said that they believe that the DOD has said that yeah, yeah, yeah. COVID. So, that so was, the FBI, KGB, yes, is always welcome to call the show, you yes. know, and talk to us, and we're happy to have them there, and we'll we'll just ask them questions, and we don't care if they have an ongoing investigation. That's not an excuse on Action Radio. Yeah. So so right. so well, Sally, be blunt. It, so did, yeah. Go ahead, Diane. What Dr. Malone said it, and yep. so did uh, Peter McCullough, so did Jeff yep. Childers, and now mm-hmm. we've got Robert Kennedy saying it, not on our show, but I heard him, he's saying it on video, blunt, and he's like, yep. It's, See, now he has they, not been on the DOD show. was making it. I know, we need him. <laughs> but I want and, him on the show. But he's yeah. saying that, exactly, he said the DOD, uh, he, he believes that the DOD was basically making the COVID-19 shots and they slapped the labels of Moderna and Pfizer on it. So, hmm, that would um, make sense. Yeah. So, and because they couldn't do it here, they sent it over to Wuhan, uh, along with the Chinese yeah. Communist Party. So, so Millie has his counterpart. No. Millie, you know, does does uh, does the I Department don't. of Defense have their counterpart in the Chinese Communist Party People's Liberation Army? There's yeah. a question. From what I end, from what I believe right now, after seeing all the evidence that that I've seen, is that they made it in in France, and then they shipped it to Wuhan, and made now they're throwing Wuhan. In Ukraine, at one of our bio labs right. in Ukraine, that's what. Hmm. And and then they shipped it to Wuhan, and now they're throwing Wuhan under the bus because they're trying to hide <laughs> Ukraine's bio lab. So yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's just getting so interesting. All the it stuff is. that's coming out in the news lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why Putin went into Ukraine. Yeah, so, that's why yeah, went into Ukraine. The Ukraine, and it's important as well. Hold on, Sally. Hold on, Sally. Explain exactly what this is because we've heard this on the show several times. Josie's talked about it, so let's get that. Then I want to go to Sally and then back to Diane. Pianki, what's what's your theory? Well, one on this? Thing, when that uh, war and fighting began, <clears throat> one of the things that Putin done is he told Western news reporters that if you put out any false story. You're going to be in prison. So they all began to leave. They all have left. <laughs> that is mm-hmm. funny. So, like here where they have to put out false stories <laughs> or they go to prison. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, Russia has just as good an intelligence as the United States have. I mean, that's just the thing it is. But it, apparently there was something going on there oh, other than the usual in Ukraine. Because mm-hmm. the Ukraine has no value to to Russia for what it uh, uh, what we believe that it's it's up to. And another reason, the information like what you just said never filters through into the common news source. It always gets blocked out as if it's got a tag on it. So uh, I believe that very much that uh, they were creating something there in that country. And okay. Putin wanted to stop it. Well, let's go well, Sally. Well, they put it right find... on his border. I don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of stupid. You know, that would be like a, a, no. a Russian bioweapons lab in Cuba, you know, with, with the winds blowing towards Key West. <laughs> it's a similar kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Sally? Sally, mm-hmm. what do you think? Did yeah. you find anything on this? On the Ukraine connection? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I haven't. I haven't really gone down that rabbit trail i've read some things about it and you know i be- i believe based on everything that i've seen that there is a ukraine connection as well but not just for this but 
for the whole cabal and all of their activities and everything, like all the billions of dollars that they want to send over there. Um, supposedly Ukraine. Little money uh, laundering. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah. a Ukrainian. Ukraine uh-huh. is the Democrat Party bank. <laughs> Let's be yeah. blunt. Yeah. And the Republican <laughs> and then, bank, you too. Know, it's no wonder, yeah. you know, Hunter Biden was on the board of Burisma and, you know, mm-hmm. about which he had no experience, you know, with energy or anything like that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so there's that connection uh, there. And we'll probably be, if, if all the truth comes out, we'll be, I think we'll be hearing a lot more about what was really going on in Ukraine, uh, you know, not just by the the cabal and how they they used, you know, the government there. I mean, because back in, during Obama's time, what they overthrew a legitimately elected, uh, you know, president and installed, you know, the guy they wanted, and you know, all kinds of. Yeah, yeah, we did a show on that. Like that was that. that was fascinating. Yurichenko, uh, I think that's his name, got dumped, uh, and they put in uh, the comedian, the the the, the sex guy, <laughs> Yanukovych. Oh, there we go. Okay, yeah, so I Thank you. Well, I got my people mixed up. Yeah. Yeah. And and so uh, there's a lot more I think to come out about that, mm-hmm. but it also shows I think the the way that the cabal works, you know, which is important for people to understand even if they don't chase down all the details of any particular rabbit trail or two or three, uh, you know, this is, this is kind of how I think, I, I think in terms of like the big picture, what are a lot of the key issues, you know, for people to understand that uh, things are not at all as they appear to be on just about anything. And uh, so what do we need to be aware of uh, to help us, make decisions to know how to live our lives, to protect ourselves uh, for healing, I mean, all kinds of things. Um, So uh, Ukraine, definitely, there's a lot of issues there, you know, for people to be aware of. And, um, you know, we had a map. Just just to jump in for a second, we have a map of Ukraine. I found an interactive map. And all the war is all along the Russian-Ukraine border. Russia is not invading Ukraine. Everything is along the border, all the destruction, all the, the, the artillery, everything that's happening. I'm sure Ukraine has soldiers on the border, too. But it's not like Russia is running across all of Ukraine to do this. They're not racing to the eastern regions where the Nazi groups hang out that were affiliated with the, the Germans in, the, you know, in World War II, uh, as opposed to the Russian communists who are affiliated with Stalin in World War II. Uh, it, it's fascinating how this is all working. Um, I want to switch subjects a little bit here to something that uh, only we are talking about. So let me, let's get you to finish up on, on Ukraine, uh, and then I have a brand new topic for you. And then, of course, Diane, I know I'm probably asking too many questions. Make sure you get your stuff in, too. Uh, Sally, you want to finish up on Ukraine? Yeah. Uh, I, I've said all I wanted to say about that for now. Okay. So well, let me, let me do the big that. topic for me, and then I'll, uh, I'll try once again to turn over to Diane. Diane, you got to yell at me. I mean, you just do. You just say, Greg, i got something to say. Okay. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. All right. So so I had my yell warning. All right. So here's the question I have. Brian Sicknick, we did a show. In fact, I found that it's not in the search engines anymore. You can't find this show. I only found it because I had it listed on my my greatest hits of action radio on my own computer. And this is August 9th of 2021. So we're talking six, seven months after uh, January, March, April, May, June, July. Okay. Eight months after uh, January 6th. 
And what we speculated, and I found another news source that had it, was that Brian Sicknick was the first public death of the COVID shot because Capitol Hill got the COVID jabs per Nancy Pelosi mid-December of 2019. So three weeks later was January 6th. So that would have been enough time, you know, under horrible circumstances to, to have massive blood clots. Some people get within like days or hours. Um, but uh, this is three weeks yeah. later. And we think, I think, um, and I've, I've actually text uh, Peter McCullough and Robert Malone about this. And we'll see if one of them has a chance to get back to us. They're like really busy. Um, but uh, also some other friends of mine that this is, I think this is a real possibility that he was the first public death. He, he had a, uh, an autopsy with a coroner, but the coroner is a DC coroner. So, I mean, how much trust can you put in them? Yeah. I'm sure they work for, for the none. state. Okay. The other thing was Absolutely he was cremated. None. So we can't yeah. go back. He was cremated. So we can't go back and check. So what are the chances? Boy, they health so many people into being cremated. It's ridiculous. Well, of course, anybody yeah, that might what? be investigated. So let me, let me just, so here's the question. Okay, let me just, just finish this question here. So 42 year old man, Healthy law enforcement officer goes through January 6th. who's not killed with a fire extinguisher walking around. We know that died later the next day um, from a massive blood clot causing a stroke. So what are the chances of a 42 year old healthy law enforcement officer who gets regular physical checks uh, that had no apparent stroke history that we know of uh, suddenly dropping dead three weeks after they, he probably got the COVID shot. That's my question. I think it's very plausible. Sally. Wow. That's that's very interesting. And, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you said he had an autopsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got the report. If, do we, yeah. Do we know if the tissues were preserved or not? Because even though he was cremated, uh, Ryan Cole, Dr. Ryan Cole, has said that, you know, even a year or more later, if the tissues have been preserved uh, from an autopsy, the family members, if, if they want to know whether or not uh, their loved one's death, was caused by the 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 vaccine or not uh they they can still tell if the if the tissues were you know, uh, and, and it's quite evident he was uh, cremated because on his uh memorial uh, right there in the uh rotunda you can see the urn up there next to the flag that's folded up how convenient the thing is is that I think the parent, I think the family got paid off because they responded to uh, this, uh, like Tucker Carson's uh, reveal, and they said, "Stay the hell out of our family business." Now, who would make a verbal statement Oops. like that mm. of a loved one? I think there's something going on there. Let me get Diane here. I want to get a question on the medical stuff. Then let's get to Sally on the legal stuff. So, medically, uh, does this make sense? My theory. I do. Okay. It does. All right. Okay. How about uh, preserving uh, tissue and things like uh, that? Okay. Do you know about the procedure? I mean, I know you're not a coroner, but I'm just curious. <laughs> no, I don't. I never know what people know. <laughs> I have no I idea. Ask, so, okay. Yeah. So then I know no. What no, I have no clue. Okay. But Legal. It's cited in our book where uh, Dr. Ryan Cole had made that statement that um, if an autopsy is done, which all too often they're not, but if you're saying one was done. If the tissues were preserved, um, they can still do testing, you know, on it, you know, much, uh, much later in time to determine, you know, whether the vaccine uh, was a, a was a cause in the death or not. Mm-hmm. So he'd be the one to follow up with on on things like that. Or if any listeners have a uh, a loved one in that kind of situation. Um, <clears throat> 
hmm. you know, they're, you know, there's still hope to find out if they, if they really wanted to go down that route. Hmm. Well, let me just give you a quick uh, thing from this article I found. Law and Crime is a website, a Dan Abrams production. Sounds like Quinn Martin. Anyway, Capitol Hill police officer Brian Sitnik died of natural causes after suffering two strokes uh, a day after uh, January 6th. So I, I, I've forgotten that he had two strokes. And this is from the medical examiner. So let me get to the highlights here. Uh, potentially shining a light on why prosecutors have not yet leveled homicide charges against rioters. Da, 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 da. Uh, Capitol Police Officer Brian Sitting died of natural causes after suffering two strokes the day after the January 6th. They say siege. My report is Capitol Hill Invitational Walk-In. It's his first report by the Washington Post. The newly public ruling revealed a little more than a month. Uh, <clears throat> okay, let me see if I can get to the, the, this where he talks about the actual thing. Here we go. D.C. Medical Examiner Francisco J. Diaz told the Post, that would be the Washington Post, uh, that the autopsy found no evidence that Sitnik had an allergic reaction to, I guess that's the pepper spray, and disclosed to the paper that he did not find evidence of internal or external injuries. Okay, so that dumps the fire extinguisher theory. However, Diaz added that Sitnik, having been among the officers who engaged in the Capitol Hill mob, uh, that played a role in his condition. So what, he had an adrenaline rush, and that's what killed him? His police statement about the autopsy report adds that apparent disconnect. He says here on Wednesday, January 6th, uh, an unprecedented incident did it. Okay, that's the, that's the BS stuff. Uh, District of Columbia Office of the Chief Medical Examiner, once again, Dr. Francisco J. Diaz, MD, FACP, issued determination on April 7th as to the cause and manner of death for four of those individuals, uh, and today issues the cause and manner of death. Uh, despite, I probably should have read this ahead of time. Uh, sickness yeah. death uh, let's, is let's caused. <laughs> okay, it's the acute brainstem. That's the part I want to get to. Acute brainstem and cerebellar infarcts due to acute basilar artery thrombosis. Diane, what's that? Thrombosis is blood clot. So, okay. um, yeah. But, okay, we have a lot of election integrity that we need to report today, Ted. Okay, So I'm I done. want to kind of shift gears if we can. We can but, run a lot um, of time. I definitely think that we, there could be something on. Oh, that'd be great. But yeah, um, I know it. that if you, if people are just listening on the radio, they get cut off um, at the right get, yeah, time. If you're going to call in, call us now. That, yeah, we've got 20 minutes of normal yeah. time, then we're in overtime. Diane, back and, to you. But, Sally, let's, let's let Sally put in one more plug for where they can find her. Your COVID-19 vaccines and beyond by Sally Saxon, Deborah Viglione, and James Thorpe can be bought at Amazon. And please give that to uh, red pill every person that you know that still believes in these vaccines. Kelly, is there anything yeah. else that you wanted to put in? Um, just Be- that before uh, we shift we're here. Just, coming, we're just coming out with the ebook version, too. That should be out any time now. Uh, up until now, it's only been available in paperback. And also, we are on a mission um, to get you know this information in the book into as many hands as possible of uh, people who need uh, to be awakened to what's really going on Red pill. Uh, with, uh, <laughs> yes. with all things COVID. Um, and so we're encouraging people not only to buy a copy for themselves uh, so that they can be armed with information and know, you know what some of the issues are and the evidence behind, uh, behind it that refutes the official narrative, but also to buy a copy for their healthcare provider or, you know, could be a friend, you know, who also needs to be red pilled on some of these issues. Um, yeah. Because, uh, I've given out several. Actually, <laughs> oh, 
thank you. Thank you so much because, you know, that's the mission. That's why the, the book was written in the first place was really to wake people up. And based on the endorsements we've had from various doctors like, you know, Peter McCullough and um, Dr. John Witcher and, um, you know, several others, even Steve Kirsch has endorsed us and some other experts uh, and several doctors, you know, they're, they're saying this is a, a valuable resource that every doctor ought to read, but also every patient ought to read. So they're saying you know, this is a resource that can help really wake people up and inform them uh, because it is an overview of many issues. So it's like we've got the resource, yeah. but we need the help in getting it into the hands of people who need it the most because our country can't afford. Yeah. yeah. We'll be hearing more from both people. of these doctors. Uh, we're going to have an event at Wahoo Stadium going to be on February, uh, February, April the 14th, Wahoo Stadium in Pensacola. Both uh, uh, Deborah Viglione and Jim Thorpe will be speaking at this. So um, they're going to be helping yep. to give people some hope and to give them some um, some ideas. So they may even, they're going to be doing a lot of research, talking with other physicians. And it's going to be half election integrity and half uh, medical freedom. So Are you please, speaking, Diane? Uh, save that date. Are you speaking there? Am I speaking there? I haven't heard the official word yet. Oh, yeah. yeah. We hope yeah, we hope to. Okay. And just checking. Yes, we're gonna <laughs> Well, we we're just now getting it under under wraps. We had our first real planning session last night. So um we're gonna have it's gonna be uh it's Friday, April fourteenth at Wahoo Stadium, Pensacola, from six PM till probably nine PM. And it's going to be a free event, uh, and the donations are definitely welcome. It's going to be quite expensive for some of us, but um, so but we we just want to offer people hope and uh, offer people help, and that's the one of the main things about this event. And uh, David Clements is coming in for this, and he's mm. he was here just a couple of weeks ago and did such a good job that he is offered to come back and with Joel Oltman, and so um, we've we've got a couple of really big people coming in for this and we're hoping that uh, we can get a good crowd and be able to uh, share a lot of information at, at one setting and get some more people interested in helping to, to help our country. So, um, and to shift gears a little bit, we have some real exciting news about ERIC, the Electronic Registration Information Center um, that we've discussed on the show almost every time I've been on. Um, this is the um, the software that our state and I think it's 30 other states in the United States use to allegedly clean our voter rolls, which they actually give away our personal information. And we've been fighting this for our, uh, an entire year, and we got the news, what, two days ago that uh, Florida finally canceled Eric. So um, I think we talked about Yeah. <laughs> it is very big news. And also West Virginia did, and so did uh, Missouri. And then Trump got on yesterday and asked for every one of the states that have Eric to cancel it. Um, so the, I know that Alabama had already gotten out of their contract. The uh, Secretary of uh, their Secretary of State of Alabama, he had actually gone up to visit their home office, and there was no home office. It was a the address for their home office had, like, a virtual center where you could rent a computer. 
<laughs> there was nothing there. So where's all our personal information being stored? So we've been hammering the state, and I think that the Secretary of State of Alabama Democrats, actually rescued National all of National Party headquarters, somewhere in the Watergate yeah. complex. Yeah, yeah, and there, but it's it's so corrupt, and they're just handing away our personal information illegally. But mm. we're going to get rid of it. We just hope they don't rip something worse. So, um, but the thing that I'm most afraid of is that our legislators in Florida have given a, have thrown Eric under the bus to save the machine. And so I've really been hammering at our county commissioners, our SOE here, Secretary of Elections here, um, our county attorney, um, our uh, state representative, and I'm like, we're on a roll. Keep mm-hmm. going. We've got to get rid of the machines too because we're not going to have a – we're just going to get a selection again if we don't get rid of these machines. Are there so, some counties um, you're modeling? Is there some legislation you're following or, or places that have gotten rid of the machines that you're using as examples or precedent or something like that where you can say, here's the law they passed or here's the procedure they passed or here's the ordinance or here's how they get rid of them. Have you, have you got some things to draw on as far as what other people have done to get rid I've, of their machines? I have a huge list of them, and I've sent them all to okay. Joel Redmond and our state representative, because that's what he asked for. So I update it almost every single day. I send it to his aide, who's hopefully sharing it with him. Let's get her on the um, show. We we need his aide on the show. No, him. It's a him. Okay, Joel, we'll get Joel on the show. He's a state representative. Yeah, we need Joel on the show. Let's get Joel on the show. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll call we him, you know, him. Representative Rudman when he's on the show. Now, today he's Joel, but when he comes on the show, he'll be Representative Rudman of the Florida State Legislature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he's been he's been doing really well. He got recall. I mean, for a first-year rep, I mean, he got recall mm-hmm. passed twice in the House, and they already have a representative. Um, and mm-hmm. this was, Sally, I don't know if you heard this or not, but um, recall Florida passed for the second reading in the House. And they actually have a really good sponsor in the Senate. So it's got a real good chance of passing. So we can get rid of corrupt, uh, well, potentially <laughs> get rid of any corrupt uh, uh, officials in And our replace county. them with other corrupt but, politicians. I mean, <laughs> yeah, if we get a selection, they may keep them yeah. if we don't get rid of these machines. Yeah. Because if, if you can actually put them up for recall, it has to go mm-hmm. to a vote for everybody. So if our machines are still selecting the corrupt ones, it isn't going to do good. Well, let me but, ask a question on that. I got a question on legislation because we wrote a bill. You wrote a bill, <coughs> uh, our election integrity bill. Yeah. Uh, Joel Rumman did not, as yeah. far as I know, send that to the legislature. Uh, Michelle Salzman, who also has it next door in Pensacola, uh, did not send it to the state legislature. In fact, nobody that I know, in fact, nobody, uh, uh, Recall Florida, did not pick up our bill and say, hey, here's another great bill for you guys, too. We have an election integrity bill to go along with our yeah, They're working bill. on it. Oh, they are. Okay, good. They're so, actually so helping. Give me, they're, they're give me an update. Tell me. Tell me what's going on. Yeah. Please. Well, I, they said that they would help. I mean, that they they are having con- have contact. So um, hopefully mm-hmm. they're sharing it this week while they're in okay. Tallahassee right now. But, so, um, but I don't know. New bills in. I, I think the, the bills are. I think the, the bills, bills are, are pretty locked up. I, yeah, you can't put anything new. Redmond, we, we're talking. Why are we talking next year? To do this, this is why I'm a little, uh, a little peeved, shall yeah. we say, because this bill has been around for a few months now, uh, or at least a couple of months, you know, and it's been ready to January. go. January, I had it out by January. There you go. We're talking three months. I wrote a bill um, two years ago uh, to get our private information off off the internet, uh, and uh, and the other one, the other part of that is that registrations expire. 
So I've already had that. This is the one we incorporated into your bill, that all registrations expire on December 31st so that the, the voter rolls are always clean, just like your DMV records well, we've are always had clean. People, we've already had people breaking up our bill and making their own bill with stuff that we made, too. So that's, Well, that's, that, that's not that's so, nice. listen, as long as the right thing gets done. No, I'm, um, but, I, you know, but tell me, I'm tell happy. me who's done that. I'm happy about What's, it. Yeah. yeah. I still want credit, but though, because we started. I don't, I don't <laughs> know. I, I'm not going to go. I don't want to say their name. But, um, you know, okay, they, so tell they, me, so without, are, names, without names, what's happened to our bill? No names, no places, no organizations. Day. Okay. Your idea, they didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't believe that the, uh, the machines, they, they said that's too hot of a button for them. But they okay. did love the, uh, the registration that expires at midnight. They were taking that. Mm, okay. Is so, that going into a yeah. bill? Did it go into a bill? Where does that stand right now? They sent it. I don't know what they've done with it. I have kept up. But I know well, that okay. they, they talked to me before they did it, and I, he actually said he was going to put it on our site, and you okay, talked good. to him. So, right. um, well, right. yeah, so well, it's always next week. I'm not sure so, that if that's – Let's find out. Someone has said that there's a really good election integrity bill that's coming out, and I haven't seen it. I've been perusing and, and watching the – because I go and look at Redmond's bill almost daily to see if he's added anything. No, that's and, actually um, I'm really I'm really happy you're doing that. I mean, uh, as much as I, I make fun of everybody on the show, you're doing a, an amazing okay. job, and I'm, I'm really proud to have you on the show uh, because you're following up. You're doing all kinds of stuff, and we're we're in constant contact. But uh, that bill, what I'm guess here's what I guess is going to happen, and uh, we'll find out for sure. Someone's going to take it, put their name on it, uh, say it's their bill, <laughs> you know, and we're not going to be we're. Gonna, but this is why we have the date on our bills. So we can always say, hey, that's a really great bill. Well, we that, looks just like, that looks just like this one, the one that Ow. we wrote, you know, six months ago. <laughs> yes. But that's okay. As long as it gets in the legislature, that's, that's the main thing. But uh, keep, keep me posted. Uh-huh. I'd be very curious because I have several of my own bills that I need to write and uh, do the show and everything else that's going on. But, yeah, hey, listen, if they put it in, a, I expect that to happen. I expect legislators to get their ideas, call it their own, put their name on the bill, and get in the legislature. Quite frankly – yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to get credit for it, but quite honestly, as long as the right thing gets done, that's far, that's far more important. I'll talk to them after they pass Absolutely. it, though, and say, hey, where'd you get that idea from? <laughs> yeah, my name <laughs> used to be on that bill. Yeah, my name was on that bill <laughs> at one point. It's still yeah. on our bill at regularlife.com. Mm-hmm. It's still there in case anybody wants to see where it came from. Sally, and the date, <laughs> what do you think? It was put on there, yeah. <laughs> Am I being out of bounds here or trying to take a little too much credit? What do you think? I'm just curious. Uh, no comment. Okay. Well, that's fine. Well, let me, let me um, this is, <laughs> that's, that, that's the safest thing. There's a really important thing, a point I want to yeah. make for both of you, and then, uh, and then, Diane, whatever you want to do for overtime, uh, feel free. I think we're pretty much covering it. This is critical to me. Uh, what is critical is you have an ebook uh, coming out. So, Sally, my, my request, my, my huge request for you is that you include in there somewhere the links and a brief description to our two bills, Vaccine Product Liability and big tech censorship, that we can end big tech censorship and we can have vaccine product liability. If all the folks that are, are getting your book and sharing your book and sharing the ebook, if there's a section before, middle, after, somewhere in there, you put like an activist page or if you want to, quote, do something in big capital letters, you know, this is something that can be done. People are still not used to citizen legislation, which makes sense. It is new. And, so, and this also goes for mm-hmm. Diane in the, the rally that's coming up. 
a part of it, you, the bill links should be in everybody's program. It should be a feature of the show that you talk about it. I'll talk about it briefly. It shouldn't be a surprise to people. They should expect to have their phones out with those things. They should be able to take a picture of something in the program of those bill links so they have it. So if we're really going to – and we've got time. This is not coming up until April. But for both of you, I'm going to go to Diane, then, then Sally. Uh, I think it is absolutely critical that we take these two opportunities, your book, Sally, and, and, and this rally coming up, to post these things, to have them on the screen, to talk about these bills, because this is, to me, and I think, uh, you know, in actual fact, the strongest action that everybody in the country can take right now to do something to stop big pharma, to make them liable for what they're doing, and to stop big tech from censoring the information that killed upwards of a million people. Okay, this is how serious this is. But because people are not used to it, it's not happening. Okay, uh, so so uh, Sally, you don't have to tell me now. If you want to think about it, that's fine. But if you think you can put it in your ebook, please do. Well, yeah, I can't. It up on the I can't mode. do it right now uh, because it's well, of course not right now. But okay, yeah. think, talk to me off the air. But yeah, but if you can include a section with our, just those two bills, vaccine product liability. Ending big tech censorship. You've got the bills. I can text them to you again. I think they're on any of our, of our many threads. So that would be huge. Let's, let's turn everybody into a lobbyist. Um, Diane, yeah. same thing for you. Can we incorporate this? Yeah, in, we, we can, can talk about this off the air, but can, well, can we incorporate this into it? We're going to put it on into? a jumbotron. We okay. can put it on a jumbotron, Greg. So okay. it, if we can put it, we're not going to have a passed out flyer. We're going to have, okay. everything will be up on a jumbotron, but we'll have to, and I can tell, I'll talk to you about off that on, on you know, offline, okay. but we can put People all can take of our pictures bills of it. up. Well, yep. Yeah, exactly. You can put election so, integrity um, in there too. I mean, why don't you put our put? Like I say, it's, that's your baby. That's that's a, an amazing bill. You know, let's get that on there too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't Definitely. this fun? And that can okay. be a, um, yeah, because we're ha- the first half will probably be medical, and the second half will be election integrity. Okay. So, um, yeah, we're excited. There was uh, one other thing that I wanted to go over, um, mm-hmm. and you and I had discussed, and this is com- completely off topic, but no, uh, it was it. the Ohio derailment stuff. Remember the yeah. Ohio derailment stuff that yeah, we were yeah, going to talk me. about? Yeah, tell me. Okay. Um, yes, I got this off one of my feeds. It said, yesterday we shared that European Adoption Agency was stripped of their license back in 2016. While Mike DeWine was state attorney general for Ohio, the mm-hmm. problem is the agency wasn't complying with the law for a very long time, if ever. DeWine had a duty to oversee these adoption agencies. Not only did he have a duty, he had a duty to expose the issues that were coming to light with this agency. Did he? No. Rather, he covered them up. And then this person says, I live in Ohio. My brother-in-law was in the National Guard Reserve here. A buddy of his that was deployed with to Kuwait was uh, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to read this on my messenger. It's really small. That he was deployed with to Kuwait was deployed to East Palestine after the train derailment there. There has been no mention of National Guard on TV. Nothing publicized about the National Guard being called in to help. And we know that a governor is the one who is supposed to activate the National Guard. It was all Mike done hush-hush when my this is Mike Dewine, same guy. When my okay. <laughs> when my sister told me about the National Guard, I simply said that there was more to this than meets the eye, and she answered trafficking question mark. My answer was yep, and this local report was done just three days after the derailment, and this is about a, a sex 
trafficking, truths about sex trafficking in Ohio. Uh-oh. Oh, we're going to start sharing stories. Oh, we're getting a live, uh, we're getting extra material. <laughs> yeah. I, I clicked into the link and it started talking. From they do that. I've had that happen. 20, it's okay. 21, the human, the National Human Trafficking Hotline recorded 6,113 victims of human trafficking in Ohio. And then they talked so about uh, one survivor in a search story. So, so what's the connection here? The, about, this is uh, three different things. Go ahead. The train derailments are not about the derailments. They're about child trafficking. So, which, so this, which this is really the first I've heard. Yeah, this is the first I've heard what you were saying before. So we've got, we've got three things going at once. We've got the National Guard. We've got an environmental disaster. We've got a train derailment. Uh, and we've got child trafficking. That's four things. So pulling them all together, I'm curious. So, so let's look let's, over could... here so you don't see what's going on over here. That's, okay, so that's what they've done for decades. Oh, well, yeah, I know. So let's 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 find here. out which is distraction and which is real. So is the child exactly. distra- is the child trafficking the distraction and the chemical burn is real? No, I think the chemicals are real, but. I don't, words, I don't know that the chemicals are real. I don't know that that's oh, true. And I, I, okay. I, I genuinely don't. Um, okay. I, I, I've Feel got free to a speculate. lot of people in. Well, I am definitely speculating. I, okay. There's a, well, some channels well, okay. that I followed that I have been very, very um, good about what they've called, and they believe that the chemical, that, that they're sending in experts to test the ground and the water, throw some dead fish in there, make people think that they're really, you know, under duress. A little oil on the surface, so it's rainbow-colored, a little bit of, because the oil flows, yeah. right? So, okay. All right. Just curious. I'm hoping that it is that they're lying, that they have exposed these people to all these chemicals because it's so dangerous. And the CDC actually, was it the CDC? Somebody changed what was the chemical that leaked out there. They changed, like, the week before that, they changed uh, a lot of their, uh, I don't know, their warnings about it, their levels, their exposure rates. They made them a lot where they say that you can get exposed to a lot more without it harming you, which is. Oh, yeah, like the FAA changed the heart standards. Yeah, so they changed the the safety standards. That would not surprise me. Well, then the movie White Noise came out before this happened, and it was they had used the people of the town to um, as extras in this movie, and it was about a train derailment and you know same town and pollution, you know, same town, and it's like Satanists warn you before they do something, and I don't know, it's too many, too many coincidences. Well, we need a follow-up, obviously, next uh, week. Um, let me get to Pianchi for a second. And then, definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering – go ahead, finish that first, Diane. Yeah, I just – there's just so many coincidences and too well, many weird things happening that don't make sense. Well, I'm wondering if you can preset a bearing to collapse on a or to fail on a on a on a, uh, on a train. In other words, they knew the temperature was increasing. They knew that bearing had a problem. They knew when it gets over 200 degrees above ambient, uh, it has a tendency to fail. It failed at 230 degrees. And I'm wondering if you can heat one up. <laughs> he knows. Has anybody inspected well, to see if this was? Uh, why and why would only one bearing on a train go rather than all of them? Because it's the same train. So something doesn't make sense here. That one bearing go would look, go. Mm-hmm. Just 
Google how many train derailments in the United States. Google that right now. Everybody oh, on your phone. Go like look at how much. Right. It, 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 yeah. Daily, there's, you know, multiple. Every single day, train derailments in the United States. Why? Mm-hmm. They, That's a different question. Let me, let me get to that in uh, I'll tell you what I think, but let me let me get Pianchi on here first, and then I'll tell you what I think of train derailments. Pianchi, you had a point on this. Well, they don't need to bring out the National Guard. The National Guard is not trained in no hazardous material like you've seen on the tr- on the train. It was mm-hmm. in, in what you had was an accident. You had a, a wearing out of a of a component and an accident pursuit. And the warning sensors on the track, like there are, they uh, sent the signal back to the uh, mm-hmm. control center, and people didn't act on it. You know, I was, was out walking just the other day, and, and I crossed over a train track and looked at the how the uh, track is held down to the uh, to the ties. And they have uh, each, what you would call a saddle. Each saddle has uh, three spikes in it. And the spikes are on the outside to keep it from moving laterally. And uh, apparently that works just fine. But there's spaces uh, for four spikes. There's spaces for four. And most trains only have two of four in those saddles holding down those tracks. European trains have four. They fill those saddles with four spikes, and we only put two. We only put half the number of spikes in most no, of our train tracks. The, the, spikes out, the spikes I looked at had three, and okay. they, had two, they had two hooks across the, the bottom quarter of the rail to hold it down, which works just fine. And see, here's the thing. Well, that railroad knows better on how to handle the material that it's carrying than probably anybody else along the way. What I think is that you get the EPA come in and made a, a, a dumb decision to burn the contents. Uh, the contents, of, and I sent, you a, I sent you a messenger, I sent you a, a, a video of a train going, working its way up an elevated yeah, mountain. Yeah, I saw that. And the this train would be two miles long. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. They're on trains. And the track looks pretty cool. Looks like it's good. Yeah, it looks like a big rail bed. they got like four locomotives. They're hauling a bunch of tanks. Yeah, I saw the video. Let me ask uh, Sally a question, though. Liability. Who's liable? Uh, is the EPA liable if they burn a bunch of chemicals? Because I know if Norfolk Southern uh, burned those chemicals, they'd certainly be liable for it. You know, it'd be, they'd be uh, a normal EPA would have them uh, already arrested by now for an environmental disaster. So who, who's responsible, Sally? Where, where does the liability fall? Yeah, well, I think... I think in things like this, there can be multiple parties, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, uh, a lot of lawyers would just sue every possible conceivable, you know, defendant, uh, and then they may drop off as they seek to be dismissed from the from the case. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's how it goes. Uh, yeah, I think there's always, in things like this, there's always, you know, some uh, malfeasance of some kind, you know, with regard to what the government did and what they didn't do and and their response and and so forth, because sometimes they make something worse. 
by doing a certain thing or not doing a certain thing that they should have been doing. And, um, you know, it gets into a, a sticky ball of wax. Uh, okay. I guess I don't have a lot more to say about it than that. Uh, just but isn't there a certain amount of li- isn't there a certain amount of immunity for government? In other words, if the government does something that uh, governments can do, yeah. things corporations can't do. So, in other words, if the EPA administrator or official on the scene says we're going to burn all these chemicals and it turns vinyl chloride into phosgene, you know, a deadly chemical, it's like a war crime chemical. Uh, that's okay because it works for the government and they're not going to be prosecuted by the government they work for. Whereas if, if Norfolk Southern said, we're going to clean this up before the EPA gets here, we're just going to burn all the chemicals. So there's nothing there for them to charge us with. They would be in jail so fast. There'd be multi-billion dollar lawsuits against them, you know, that day. Right? Yeah. You, and remember, you know, uh, there's... Hold on, Pianchi. I'm going to legal answer on this from Sally, and then I'll get back to you. Sally? No, I was just going to say, remember, there's the, the civil actions and the criminal actions. Okay. So Explain. Some people might be brought to one and not the Oh, Lord. Okay. Briefly. Well, uh, obviously there was a lot of damage, you know, done to a lot of people in various ways, and right. so uh, that's the civil part of, of things okay. where you're, you're suing somebody for damages. The criminal is a whole other thing, uh, you know, um, that would fall under the criminal law, criminal statutes, uh, that could potentially involve uh, fines as well as jail time if if uh, there was anyone whose conduct uh, really came under, you know, the purview of the, the criminal laws that apply. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's not my bailiwick, so I don't, you know, I don't know what specific laws might apply okay. to well, this kind of situation. Let me make it really general, and then I'll get to Pianca, then back to Diane. Um, are government officials generally immune from the really bad decisions, from, from liability, from, from civil lawsuits especially? I mean, there might be criminal actions you can take against them, but are they generally immune from civil for the decisions they make on the job? Do you have any experience yeah. with that? Uh, again, well, uh, yes and no. It's been many, many years, even kind of decades, but... Uh, you know, there are certain kinds of uh, actions that fall within the purview of their job that, you know, they, they're protected from liability. It's like, well, somebody okay. else might have made a different decision, but they made this decision. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a policy thing. But when it comes to uh, issues of, uh, like, I don't know, it could be like gross negligence or um, something very corrupt, you know, that they did uh, or fraud or something like that. Uh, there are some things that can pierce that shield that they try to hide behind. Uh, so it just depends on, you know, what evidence is there to uh, uh, that reflects the nature and character of their actions um, and whether it really kind of fits within, you know, the purview of, of their job description or whether they were so uh, incompetent, so negligent or, or willful, you know, in their actions or inactions, you know, that, that can create a different situation. Okay. All right. Let's get Pianchi in here. Well, whenever I worked around in the vicinity of a rail line or past a light rail, Metrolink, I had to increase my, 
general liability, what what's called an excess liability policy, just for that particular project. And for Northwest Southern just to burn a pile of trash, I'm sure they would have had to have a permit to do so. So what I'm saying is, is that whoever gave the order to burn that material and the effects that it caused, they're the ones that assume the liability. The, the railroad automatically has liability insurance as they travel along their track. So I'm saying is that if the EPA came in and gave the order to burn the material, that was really done. You know, there's an area there at the old McDonald uh, manufacturing, McDonald Aircraft there in St. Louis County, where apparently something did spill. And they cordoned off the ground, and they removed all the soil and done something to it, burnt it. Even across the road there where they had a softball field, they done the same thing. And it took, I know, at least several years. So, no, the railroads shouldn't be responsible for burning because I don't think they would have would have made that decision. That was probably the federal EPA that done that. Should have been a Superfund site is what I'm thinking. But that's uh, we can go over that another time. Diane? We have more election things because okay. we should probably uh, um, kind of uh, end up here in a bit. So I'll make sure we cover your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What's our wrap up? Well, I wanted to just uh, wrap up is um, our government is involved in so much stuff and it's not good. And I'm I'm frustrated. I'm excited that we've got so many people calling them out right now. That Jeff Childers and McCullough and Malone and Robert Kennedy are all covering them saying. And us, exactly, are saying, you know, that they're involved in this. And then we've got Fox News that came out with the shaman that was a J6, and they followed him the entire time. He had a Capitol Police on his elbow the entire mm-hmm. day. And mm-hmm. the guy didn't do anything wrong, and he is in prison for four years. So they've hidden this footage from us for two years. And, you know, if our government is going to lie that badly about the the footage from J6 and put these people in, in jail and then imprison them for years from something that they had the footage to be able to clear their names, do mm-hmm. you think they won't mess with our election machine to keep mm-hmm. it power? I think I post something like that. You know, so that – Yes, that's, that's yeah, the question. exactly. You know, and it's not that big a leap. I think you're absolutely so, right that to, if, no, if they lie about this – No, it's not a big leap at all. Why wouldn't they lie about They're the election? Why is that an entire lie, too? Yeah. No, I agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. And and we got four experts that are calling out the DOD saying that they're, they're the, they believe that they were the ones responsible for COVID. So, mm-hmm. you know, we we got to take control. And now that we've gotten re- – and, and they're, they're admitting now after we put so much pressure on them that even last week, Cord Bird, our Secretary of State, was saying, oh, no, we're going to keep Eric because that's the only way to catch duplicate voters. <laughs> and, and we're like, well, we have a better way to do that. And uh, actually, once the Alabama uh, Secretary of uh, State found that there's no home office for Eric, they've been so complicit to such a dirty group. And that's what we're involved in. We're not, we're not looking at these companies. We're not, you know, vetting them. We're not – we're – you know, if it's if it's run by a Soros-based group, you know, we need to not be involved with the film. So, and 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 hopefully, now that we're on a roll, we can actually get rid of these machines. And we're not going to be able to do this, uh, have elections if we don't, you know, 
get rid of this selection. So that's my wrap up. And oh, Sally, okay. I really appreciate you coming today. Yep. Let's get your book sure. again, Sally. Thank you, Greg. Let's get to, uh, where, where to find your book one more time? I always like to do it at the end of the uh, of, of the hour or at the end of the show. You know, all the all the connections. So, how do people find it? And uh, do you want okay. them finding you, or, or no? Or you you want to be obscure? Sure, they can find me uh, at sallysaxon.com, S-A-L-L-Y, S-A-X-O-N, dot com, and the book is on Amazon, COVID-19 vaccines and beyond, what the medical industrial uh, complex is not telling us. So Sounds there it is in the ebook with a new section on vaccine product liability yeah. and big tech censorship bills. <laughs> you know, yeah, your well, action, actually, you your know, action the, station. Yeah, go ahead. At the end of the book, uh, uh-huh. there is a call to action, uh, a few pages of call to action. What uh, especially healthcare professionals can do. Uh, so we could uh, uh, once it's actually published, then I can go back in and maybe add that uh, to that section at the end. Wow. And save the we love date. you madly. Save the date, <laughs> Thank April you. 14th. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Let's, let's make the announcement official. So- That's the Wuhan gong ringing once again. So thank you. Thank you, Sally, for everything you're about to do. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Save the date, April 14th at Wahoo Stadium in Pensacola at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. to 9 p.m. And for our, it, we are now officially called the Freedom, the Florida Freedom Fighters. We got that URL. Ooh, the three Fs. So, Wait yeah. a minute. People are going to make fun of you if you or do three that. three Fs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I hope not. You, yeah, well, is you going to have another, have another letter in we there? Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We actually have someone to do a website for us. So we're really okay. excited. Yay. What a perfect place to put Until our bills. A, p- a perfect place to put uh, vaccine product liability and ending big tech censorship. Well, it should be right there that people can immediately. In fact, it would be really great if you had a link say here. Just copy this link and paste it and send it to your representative. Especially if we had a guide to the, the Florida legislature and maybe or now nah, we'll get into that later. Anyway, but as long as you have the links up there. Uh, if this is well, let me ask you one more question before you go, because this is good. It's only you and me and everybody else is left. <laughs> it's just us. Um, is it because citizen legislation is so new that people don't think of it automatically? They, they, uh, they go to the traditional, we have to get a bill in here. We have to, uh, you know, we'll do this kind of stuff. Uh, it's just, you know, even the rallies, the books, the things like that. I'm hoping to make this automatic. People go, oh, yeah, we need our citizen legislative component. So that when someone writes a book, when someone has a rally, when someone, you know, sends a bill to the legislature, the, 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 you know, the, the citizen legislative component becomes almost automatic. Now, we're obviously not there. But do you think that's, that's what it is, that people are just not used to it yet, or we need to be bigger, which I'm working on, or any number of other things? What's, uh, what, what's our next step to advance this whole thing? More information. Just keep trying. So okay. Just open people's eyes and, and, and get them to understand that we don't, you know, with citizens. I mean, look at what we did with Eric. You know, mm-hmm. we pushed it through. We got it out. So, mm-hmm. And look what we've done with recall, too. And so... I mean, I think with citizen pressure, we can just accomplish pretty much anything. Okay. So if we, the citizens stand up and say, we've had enough, and we're going to do it this way now. Yep. So I think that's what we need to do. Okay. Well, as long as everybody keeps working on it, we're, we're all on the same team. We're just slightly different ways of doing it, but that's okay. You know, as long as, uh, as, long as people are creative and do what they, they think best, then, uh, then it should work out. All right. I'll talk to you next week. This was fun. Great. Thanks, Greg. 
any information, websites, Facebook pages, anything you want to say about last minute, and then we're then we're going and play some commercials and stuff. Nope, just save the date for the 14th of next month and be at Wahoo Stadium at 6 p.m. Yes. Yep. And we should do is try and get our local action Thank radio you. people all out there. What do you think? Let's, I'll, I'll talk to our local reporters, see if we can drag them out there. That'd be great. So can That'd we get a great. table? Can we get an action radio table? Yes, absolutely. We can have a table. Okay. Let's do that. Absolutely. We have 12 yeah. tables that we can, that we can and if they're free, they would, we're not charging for Josie will be there. I know so, Josie will do it. The event is free. <laughs> Okay. Yes. I got a couple of other local folks I think would be out there too. All right. See those fun things we work okay. out here. And, and, you know, we are transparent. We 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 give our, our a lot of our stuff probably too much right over the air. All right. Thank you, Diane. I won't be able to run the table, but I'll be up front with the. You know who would do it? I bet you Josie the... would do it. Because I'll be speaking and you'll be speaking. Okay. I, I bet you Josie would do it. Bet you betcha. I bet she'd love I'm to do it. I'm not speaking. Oh, you're not speaking. Yeah. And but you can't no, run the table. I'm not speaking. You can't run the table. I'm going to be up organizing the speakers. Okay. Well, that's fine. So you yeah. can organize I'm in, me. I'm in charge. It'll be your it. turn. Yeah. Well, okay. we're just going to have – we have a very limited amount of time for, for speakers. So I need three minutes. a couple of minutes, so you won't have I need to, three, uh, three right, minutes. Two, I can do it in two minutes. I can I can do it in two minutes. I did, but look at my time. Last time I was up, remember I just said, you know, I'm Greg, you know, from this, and uh, get your phones out. Here are the bills. Go. And that's basically it. That's all I want to say. Yeah. Perfect. I can do it. I can do it in two minutes or less. Well, the feedback's so bad from that microphone speaker system, I can't speak more than a minute anyway. Because <laughs> it drives me crazy. <laughs> All right. We're out of here. It worked. Great. Right. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Okay. Bye. Bye now. So, yeah, so our website here that you're, you're listening to right now, blogstackradio.com slash citizenaction. That also has all our podcasts back to the very first show. Uh, our legislative site is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. My substacks are at gregpanglis.substack.com, and our site to, uh, to contribute to us is givesendgo.com slash actionradio. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Central Time, and tomorrow's Thursday, Friday shows, all the shows are 7 a.m. Central Time now, so we've kind of coordinated that. Got a couple of announcements to play, uh, our musical selection, and then I'll be back tomorrow. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at strikeforceenergy.com. That's strikeforceenergy.com. Start your engines. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. 
Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at mypillow.com slash WYL. That's mypillow.com slash WYL. Or order now by calling 1 800 544 8939. That's 1 800 544 8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio.
Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.